0: I've been telling you for a long time that save with Conrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it.
1: Now, Jeremy, what made you come to save with Conrad in the first
2: place? My my credit wasn't as perfect when I first got my mortgage and it, it, it had approved over the years time that I had been paying on it. Skipping the next few house payments was not you know a big, uh, part of that because it was right at Christmas time, it came in helpful. And then I got a better interest rate and uh, I cut, uh, what, five years off my mortgage, and then only increased my payment by 50 bucks, a little less than 50 bucks, so can't beat it.
1: And what was your favorite part with working with our team?
2: I think working with Derek was was the best, just, just for what I said. He was, did a great job, was very responsive, text messages, called me on the weekends, gave me updates, but, uh, yeah, everything was really just pain-free.
1: Now, if there was anything else that we could do differently, um, what would you suggest?
2: Boy, that's tough. I think uh, Conrad and his group runs a pretty good uh, shift there. Um Mm. I don't really know that I have anything,
1: honestly. In the uh, in the future, is, is there a friend or a family member that you would recommend
2: see with Conrad too? I most certainly will. I, I I absolutely will.
0: So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the five hundreds can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than forty states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com.
2: NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders, Woo!
0: i Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are you, man?
3: Oh, man, mind is still uh, relatively blown after watching uh, WrestleMania Part 1 last night. And when I say blown, I mean, in, but I will cover it, I'm sure, but uh, in, in so many different ways. I mean, this was really a unique viewing experience for me. You know, after having been in the business for over 30 years and being a fan of it for almost all my life, this is really, really something to see.
0: It really was. It's uh, it's pretty unique. I've been at every WrestleMania since 2014. So 30 forward, this is the first one I'm missing, of course, like a lot of folks. And way back in the day when I didn't go to WrestleMania, I had a bunch of folks over and I wound up watching this one by myself. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's unique all the way around, but, uh, I thought they exceeded all expectations and I'm sure we're going to get into that, but going into this show, anytime I would sort of tweet something positive that I was hopeful for tonight. And then I was appreciative that WWE was still trying to put on something because it feels like everything's been canceled because of the coronavirus. It was cool that we had something to watch and. I was just blown up on Twitter. It's going to suck. Everything's ruined. So after I saw the negativity on Twitter, I thought, man, this is going to be a home run tonight. Just because, and maybe you'll get the analogy, but sometimes I hear people say, oh, this is the best movie ever. Or, oh, you've got to see this. This is the greatest thing ever. Things get overhyped to the point that when you actually watch it, it doesn't quite meet your expectations. And you're like, eh, that was pretty good. But it's it's not what you hoped for, and sometimes we do that to ourselves. I know when they put out uh, The Irishman on Netflix. When I saw the the promotional hype videos for that, it's like, wait a minute, it's a mob movie, you know, directed by Scorsese with this cast, you know, De Niro and Pacino. My gosh, this will be the best movie ever. And then I saw it, and I mean, it was good, but but it didn't exceed my expectations. WrestleMania last night exceeded everyone's
3: expectations. Would you agree? <laughs> I, based on the response, you know that I'm seeing in social media, uh, it, I, I agree with you. It ap- appears that it has. There's a lot of positive comments. I, I would say my positive to com- to negative comment ratio is probably about five to one. Uh, you know, on my feed. Um, but I think, you know, I'll just speak for myself. It's hard to project how other people reacted to it and and didn't, you know, because we each have our own expectations and that's what you're talking about here as we open this up is, you know, managing the expectations of the viewer, of the audience, if you're a producer or manage, managing one's own expectations, if you're a fan watching it. And I think the expectations for WrestleMania, I mean, this whole situation is so Freaking bizarre, and has thrust all of us uh, uh, around the world uh, in, into such a unique environment in, in terms of everything that we do. And I agree with you, you know, especially after watching. You know, and I, and I be want to be really transparent here. I haven't sat down and watched an entire episode of either WWE or AEW since they've been, you know, producing from which is essentially a soundstage can call it whatever you want, performance center, whatever it's, it's a soundstage. It's a closed environment with no audience. I I've, I've caught clips of it, but I haven't sat down and watched an entire show. And I think because people have been watching these empty venue shows now for a couple of weeks and clearly if you look at the ratings, the, the, the ratings have started to really deteriorate over the last couple of weeks. And I think as a result of that, the expectations from most people were very, very low. And I agree with you that this show was so unique that it probably surpassed everybody's expectations just because they were so low. They convinced themselves it was going to be miserable. And once something was presented to them that was very unique – and we'll go through it all, you know, what happened last night. Some of it was much better than others. But when they saw something that was so unique, particularly in that Boneyard match, and that's how it all ended up, at least at the end of part one a WrestleMania night one, uh, I think people were left pleasantly surprised. Man, it was a long-winded way to say I agree with you. No, Holy shit.
0: no, that's what people want, man. They want your opinion. We should mention uh, that uh, if you're listening to this on Monday on the regular feed, you would have heard this on Sunday if you would have joined us on adfreeshows.com. Uh, we're breaking down both nights as they happen the very next morning at adfreeshows.com. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the, the pre-show we had Corey Graves and a great friend of the show, Mr. Rosenberg there. I thought they did a fine job and, uh, we get one pre-show match with two really, really talented performers. I think Drew Gulak is probably one of the more underrated wrestlers on the main roster now he's been there for years but he was a stalwart and in independent wrestling before that and uh, he's just now getting an opportunity to shine and i guess his his little footnote in history now is he's the first guy to appear uh in a wwe ring here at this wrestlemania this very unique wrestlemania and his opponent of course is cesaro and i was talking to uh one of my friends at the office steve Patty, and He watched WrestleMania 30 for the first time the other day. And he's like, man, it's so remarkable to see what they had in Cesaro in 2014. When he wins the Andre, the giant Memorial battle Royal, you think, oh, he's fixing to do great things. And we know he had a great tag run with, with Seamus, but I think a lot of people expected Cesaro to be sort of the breakout superstar that we believe that he's capable of. And for whatever reason, Maybe Vince McMahon hasn't bought into that, but I was really glad that they got a singles match here. I wish they had more time. Cesaro picks up the win four minutes, 25 seconds. But I think this is the sort of worst case scenario. You know, you're starting with, with two guys who are very talented in ring performers, bell to bell, hard to say anybody's much better than these two, but it's the first time you're introduced to, oh, well, this is going to be a very different WrestleMania. There's no one in the crowd. It's going to be quiet. We're going to hear what they say. And that's sort of good and bad. You know, when they're throwing kicks or punches, you really hear it. And when they're talking trash to each other, you really hear it. I love that. But the emotion that comes with there being a crowd, that takes a little getting used to. And that's a feeling out process even for the audience. What'd you think?
3: Yeah, and I want to kind of – I want to address that particular – that broad issue of not having a crowd in the way the product was presented kind of as we go through each match because I think a lot of talent, at least the talent that we saw last night, handled it quite differently, some much better than others. But what's interesting, Conrad, and and I'm – almost 100% confident that on 83 weeks over the last couple of years, I've referenced this example uh, a a few times. Usually it comes within the, the context of someone asking a question about for example, TNA or why we produce or, or, or the challenges in producing shows at Disney, MGM studios and in reference specifically to how important the audience is. And I've often told the story and it's, it's anecdotal. Um, I'm, I'm not sure it's actually true because I, I didn't find the quote myself. It was communicated to me. But apparently Elvis Presley once said that he, the the most important aspect of any of his live shows, his concerts was the audience. And, and that always stuck with me. And sometimes I draw a parallel in discussing just how important the audience is. And I've, I've talked to other talents about this that are close friends of mine as well. You know, you've got your baby face, you've got your heel, presumably in a singles match. Uh, You've got a referee. So you've got your three people in the ring, right? But the audience is the fourth character. That audience is just as important in many respects, in my opinion, in, in terms of the way live action entertainment is presented, that audience is a, is just as important of a character inside of the body of a match as anything. And to, to kind of illustrate that in, in using this parallel, I've often said, imagine if you will, just imagine, close your eyes and imagine, pick your favorite WrestleMania main event of all time, whatever it happens to be, it doesn't matter. And I'm just going to use, for purposes of this explanation, you know, Rock and Hogan from Montreal, I think it was. Um, now, that was a great match. There was great emotion in the audience. Rock did a phenomenal job. Hogan did a great job. Everything was great. But close your eyes and imagine that same match, same heel, same baby face, same storyline, same setup. Imagine that same match in a high school gym. Mm-hmm. And in your mind, at least, I think you can see how – when you think of it in that context, you can really appreciate even more than you you – consciously, subconsciously, everybody knows. The audience is important. But when you can try to visualize the most important or exciting match you've ever seen in a high school gym or now just in somebody's garage with nobody watching, um, you really – get to see how much of a challenge this is for the talent. And it was really, here's the one word. The one word is like, I got up early this morning, said it's sucking down coffee and I'm going through, I got like 12 pages of notes I made last night watching. And the one word that keeps popping up through all of the matches. And I broke down just about everything from the matches to the promos in between and all of it. um, The one word that keeps popping up for me was jarring. It was jarring for me having not sat through an entire episode in the empty venues that we've been seeing the last couple of weeks. It was so jarring to me to see this sports entertainment produce in in a way that completely took me out of anything I've ever experienced before. But what was fascinating to me is how the individual talents handled it. And as I said, as I started this you know, jungle excursion through the weeds, so I think some talent handled it really, really well. I think some didn't. And I think, I'm guessing, I'm hoping at least, that people are going to look back at this and say, okay, next time we do this, if we have to do it again, well, hopefully we don't. But if we ever have to perform in front of an empty arena again, let's change the way we present the product, and embrace some of the things that some of the talent did really well, and avoid the things that some of the talent didn't. And we'll we'll go through that as as we go through the first uh, the first part of WrestleMania.
0: What do you think of the Cesaro Drew Drew Gulak match? Uh,
3: and in uh, you know, all transparency, I didn't see it. I didn't tune into the pre-show. I, I jumped on right about. Uh, 10 to 5. So uh, I didn't get a chance to catch it.
0: Let's talk about the uh, the, the opening package. That was a little controversial. They uh, were originally, of course, supposed to do this show at Raymond James there in Tampa Bay, the home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is why they went with the pirate theme. Uh, fans who, who may not be familiar with American football or the NFL may not realize that the end zone of that stadium has a pirate ship. And whenever the Buccaneers would score a touchdown, they fire the cannons. And uh, the people who work sort of as event staff in that area are dressed uh, pirate themed and they throw beads whenever you score a touchdown and you, you can buy like a turkey leg or whatever. So it's very sort of on theme with this WrestleMania. Of course, that's all changed. Now we're in the performance center, but we're probably so far down the road with that theming that we just kept it. And so we have this sort of epic movie narration of the opening, but it's sort of done tongue in cheek, maybe Jack Sparrow or, or or Deadpool style where we're letting the audience know that some of this is a little silly, Um, but it is a cool little cinematic experience. And then we kick right into ACDC, one of Vince McMahon's favorite bands and we'll get the show going. I know you're a, a bit of a, a producer at heart. What'd
3: you think of the open? I, I it's so funny. I, I, I felt two ways about it. It's like, it's like, I'm kind of, uh, I've got two minds about it as from the production side of things. Cause I always am fascinated with how things come together creatively and the way they're executed. And, you know, I, look, the WWE, when it comes to packages, post-production, um, I just don't think anybody in the world does it better. I mean, it's so good. They're just so damn good at it. And this open was a, another great example of the capabilities of WWE studios and, and everybody in production. Um, part of me really dug it because it was so well done. And it was so cinematic. It did such a great job, in my opinion, of – showing the characters in such a different perspective than we normally see them a heroic perspective, even though, as you say, yes, some of it was tongue in cheek, but I thought it was so well done. It was impossible for me not to really dig it. I can understand, and this is going to be another theme that's going to play through, you know, this breakdown of, of at least, you know, night one of WrestleMania from my perspective, at least there were so many things that were done so differently throughout this entire, uh, WrestleMania 36 experience, at least the first half of it, that it became jarring. And, and look, human beings, are, nobody likes change. We really don't. We say we do. But if if Congress passed a law, let's just say we all got up every morning and we all were right-handed and we all put you know, our, our, our left sock on first and we've been doing it that way since the day we were born and that's just the way we do it. We don't even think about it. It's habit, right? And Congress passes a law I should be careful how I say this because it could actually happen given the way things are. But um, if Congress were to pass a law that says from now on, it's against the law to put your left sock on first. You are mandated by Congress to now put your right sock on first. It would probably cause a riot because people just don't like change. And I think because of the situation, this WrestleMania in particular – it just required such a different way of presenting the product to the audience that I think some people probably found it jarring, which is why maybe it's controversial. But I found it to be entertaining. I thought it put the characters on such a, a higher pedestal because they, they, they became more like real superheroes that you see in you know, a Marvel movie, for example. I, I really dug it. I really did.
0: As soon as we see that it was pretty well-praised, Uh, open. We go right to Rob Gronkowski. Gronk is our WrestleMania host. Has there ever been a guy who made a better deal for more money and less work in wrestling history than Gronk?
3: I have no idea what his deal is. Um, I haven't been following in that closely, but before we go too much further, I want to talk about the music open. Sure. America, the beautiful. I, I literally welled up. I got tears in my eyes over that. I just, again, in fact, I was, my, my eyes were teared up. You know, I'm watching it live and I'm trying to, you know, post a message on Twitter of how much I really dug it. Um, I, I don't know, man. That, another prime example of what WWE is so freaking good at. But that that set the tone for me. The The open that we just discussed, you know, it kind of had a little bit of a, uh, Game of Thrones vibe for me a little mm-hmm. bit, yeah. uh, along with the pirate theme. I really dug that. And then we go to Gronk uh, to, to open up the show, and it it took the air out of it for me. I mean, it went from big and dramatic and anticipation and amazing production values and America the Beautiful with all the legends, and my anticipation was through the roof. I was really looking forward to to everything I was about to see, and then we go inside of the empty arena with Gronk, who was dressed just like (laughs) Paul Diamond. from the AWA when Paul diamond used to team up with Pat Tanaka and they used to wear those ridiculous gimmicks to the ring. They, Oh my God, they were ridiculous. But yeah, to see Gronk come out and look, I I don't know Gronk. I've never met him. I've never talked to him. Everybody that I've ever talked to who has worked with him thinks he's just a hell of a guy. And I admire him from, for for jumping into the WWE uh, pool. But, Man, talk about taking me out of the moment. That just took me the fuck out of the moment.
0: Yeah, it took a lot of people out of the moment. And that's disappointing because he was one of my favorite players ever. Certainly my favorite tight end and bona fide Hall of Famer. Really a special player. But probably not the right year and use for him here. But who would have known that when they put the deal together?
3: No, but I mean, look, you know I'm usually quite supportive of wwe and and i am in this case too and i'm support right now whether it's wwe or aew or anybody else that's out there trying to work around what we're doing in an almost impossible situation i have nothing but support and admiration for for everybody involved in the ring behind the scenes, in production, in catering, I don't really care. Anybody that's doing the work, trying to get the product out right now is a freaking hero to me because it's the most um, challenging circumstances that anybody in the industry has ever worked in. And that being said, you know, I'm I'm fully supportive of this, this WrestleMania and I, and I was excited about it and, and still am uh, for tonight. But there are some things that I think, you know, in retrospect, which is easy to do, hindsight's, you know, a, a great weapon to have (laughs) but um, there were putting Gronk out there with that kind of an open inside of an empty arena that was self-inflicted damage. It didn't need to be that way. If they would have toned that down, taken a little bit more of a serious approach, played up to who Gronk is as an athlete and a larger than life personality without gimmicking, gimmicking him up to to the extent that they did would have been far more effective. And, and, and the flip side of that is had there been a live audience Had there been a live audience, that presentation of Gronk Gronk would have probably been great. It would have worked because a crowd would have reacted to it and given it credibility and and kind of supported it. But without any kind of crowd reaction, that ridiculous Paul Diamond AWA gimmick from 1987 just fell so flat. And that was self-inflicted. It has nothing to do with Gronk's abilities and talents. It just has to do with you know i guess the vision you know somebody made a decision No, let's have him come out and make it look like you know he's he, you know he's at this great party and there's all this energy and and it it he looked ridiculous and like i said it just disconnected me from the moment and it didn't have to be that way that was a that was a choice that was a decision that was made and i, I think it was a, a bad one
0: yeah and it probably didn't set the tone uh you know, that sort of kept on theme with the the great open. And then the really cool, uh, America, the beautiful thing, it it really just brought you out of it. But then we've got to get to the wrestling Alexa bliss and Nikki cross are are going to be in here working with the Kabuki warriors for the WWE women's tag team championship. And this I'll admit, uh, this took some getting used to, we had 15 minutes and five seconds. I, I thought everybody worked really, really hard. I enjoyed that I could, you know, hear the blows and hear the talking and, but it it did take sort of, uh, I don't know, some adjustment to the way I enjoy wrestling again, to do it with no fans, but I felt like they made the most of it. I thought the sort of standout performer in this match without was Oscar. I think maybe it took a while for Oscar to get totally comfortable in this WWE universe. And I think it's taken a while for the WWE universe to accept her and really understand and appreciate what she brings to the show. But I thought she was probably the standout here. I really enjoyed most of the match. I, I would have liked for it to probably have been a little shorter. Uh, but it, it was to use your word, a little jarring, of course, Alexa bliss and Nikki cross get the win. What'd you think of the WWE women's tag team championship?
3: Yeah. As we go forward, you know, at this point I want to make a statement. Let's stipulate that everybody. Without exception, work their asses off. Oh yeah. So I, I, we don't need to repeat it every time, but I also don't want anybody listening to this to think that I think anybody worked less hard than anybody else because I think they all put in hundred and twenty percent effort. However, you want to quantify it. I, I, th- that being said, here's here's where here's where I had here's where I had a hard time with it yes they they worked hard they really really did but this is where the experience of, of the talent involved you've got relatively young talent here in, in, in this tag team matchup a lot of a lot of matches under the belts they have done a lot of things but they've never played in front of an empty arena before They're so – Here, before I go any further, I'm sorry. I haven't had quite enough caffeine yet. When I used to teach karate, occasionally we would get people in, we would get a student in who was formerly a brown belt or a black belt in a different style of martial arts, right? And one would think because an individual had reached a brown belt level or a black belt level – that that person would be really advanced and and move f- through the rankings very quickly. You know, the school that I taught at, the system that I taught in, um, if you came into our system which was a different style of martial arts than a lot of other traditional styles. You, if you were a black belt in another form of martial arts, you know, congratulations, good for you. We really appreciate you coming to us, but you're a white belt here. And you had to work your way up through the, the, the belt rankings just like everybody else did. And people would anticipate that somebody came in as a black belt would move through the system very quickly. The opposite was true. And the reason I say that is because they had been trained to do things and they had worked so hard and in, in, in the muscle memory and the repetition and everything else, they had conditioned themselves to do things physically a certain way. And instead of coming in like a, a, a piece of clay that we could mold and shape and train to do things the way that the, the system that we were teaching in uh, mandated – Um, And you had this, you know, piece of clay that you could mold very easily. You had a rock that you had to chisel when you had somebody with previous experience because they had trained for so long doing one, you know, doing things one way that they had to unlearn them. And the process of unlearning something, whether it's a golf swing or you know, martial arts skills or anything else, the process of unlearning is a painful process for people. And here what we saw in this tag team matchup was an example of when you've got talent who are so used to playing in front of a big audience, right? Whether it's a house show or, or, or 40,000 people in an arena, they're playing big. They're playing to that large audience. They're playing to the people in the in the in the cheap seats, right? Everything is big. And because of the nature of this production, they played too big. Mm. They, they automatically, for example, they're acknowledging the crowd during their entrance. There is no crowd. Who are you acknowledging? And again, it disconnected me. It was jarring. I'm, I'm as a viewer now and granted my My perspective as a viewer is probably overshadowed by my perspective as a producer, right? Because I I can't turn that producer button off. But I'm looking at that and thinking, why didn't they sit down with everybody and say, look, there is no audience here, people. Don't mug to the crowd. Don't reach out and try to get the crowd behind you, which is something that everybody does way too often anyway, even when there is a live crowd. Don't do any of those things because it will take the viewer out of the moment. Uh-huh. Play to yourself. Play to play to that small, confined, you know, 20 by 20 ring. React to the referee. React to your opponents. React to the cameraman if you have to. But don't react to an audience that isn't there because it makes it even more obvious that there's no audience. You're playing to a character that doesn't exist. There is no fourth character. So keep your interactions to the three characters that you need to inside of the ring, and then it will feel more believable. But this match in particular, there was so much of that going on because I don't want to say the the talent was on autopilot, but they've been trained. And it's so instinctive for them to do certain things in the ring as part of their sequences where they're reacting to the crowd or hoping to get the crowd to react that when there is no crowd there, it becomes even more jarring. And I saw a lot of that here. You know, the, the 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 anticipation, you know, once the open was over for this and the intros, my anticipation for this match went completely out the window. That has nothing to do with the talent. Right. It has everything to do with the environment that the match was presented in. Uh, the audio, at least in the very beginning, um, you know, because you could hear so much of what was going on in the ring. I mean, there were, there were moments, I think it was in a Braun Strowman match, where I could literally hear him wiping his boots on the ring canvas. I mean, that's how much you could pick up the audio in terms of what was going on in the ring. And once again, in this tag team match, you had so much audio going on uh, during the course of the match that it actually was competing with the color and the play-by-play for me. It, it was just, it, and again, it was just—it's not a crit- criticism because it was so unusual. And maybe it was just a, a, a. a you know, a product of me having to get used to this new presentation because I was seeing it and hearing it so differently than what I've been accustomed to for the last 55 years of my life. But it was, there were just a lot of things about this match that was so jarring to me, largely because the talent in the ring just played too big. It was a perfect example of, in my opinion, what not to do, when you're forced to perform in an environment like this.
0: All right. Got a question for you. Are you tired of not being able to sleep? You have racing thoughts that keep you up or maybe having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. Well, if you've tried everything from pills to pillows with little success, it's time you try ebb, ebb comfortably cools your forehead, helps quiet the racing mind and promotes the natural onset of sleep. Ebb is the first and only wearable drug-free solution that targets the root cause of sleeplessness, your racing thoughts. Ebb applies precise and continuous cooling to the forehead, calming your mind, and it's been clinically validated, and four out of five users report falling asleep faster and improving their overall sleep quality. So if you're suffering from sleeplessness, Ebb is going to help you drift more comfortably into a deeper, more restorative sleep. Now, what should you expect while using Ebb sleep It's designed to work with your natural sleep, wake rhythms to allow you to get into that deep sleep more quickly. The mind's normal way of dealing with stress and challenges is to be on guard or more vigilant, or aroused. And that's actually, of course, the reverse of what's needed for a restful night of sleep and Ebb's cooling and calming nature is designed to counteract the way that your mind and body react to those stressful situations. We can't recommend it enough. Eric, you've used this. You really, really dig it. As we said, eight out of 10 users report falling asleep faster. Eight out of 10 users report, improving their overall sleep quality. Seven out of 10 users report feeling more alert the next morning. And you can try risk-free for 60 nights to confirm that it's the solution that you've been looking for. And we should mention again, this is 100% natural It's backed by science. And you're going to absolutely love the precision cool technology. This is proprietary cooling all through the comfort band. it's going to contain fluid that's cooled and maintained at the ideal temperature range over the course of the night to gently bring your forehead to the perfect temperature and maintain it to help you fall into sleep and stay there. And we can't stress this enough. Clinically tested, have the energy to do the things you love again by getting the sleep you need. Ebb's natural solution has no morning side effects and allows you to get back to your peak performance. And now our listeners can try Ebb risk-free for 60 nights to confirm it's the solution you've been looking for at tryebb.com forward slash 83 weeks. That's T-R-Y-E-B-B.com forward slash 83 weeks. Tryebb.com forward slash 83 weeks. Order today to get the sleep you need and deserve. Trieb.com forward slash 83 weeks. Next up it's Elias picking up a win over King Corbin. Uh, Corbin has really established himself as one of the biggest heels in WWE. Uh, and I actually like that. He's not trying to play the cool heel fans legitimately hate Corbin. Uh, so kudos to him. Elias, I feel like has been a little lost in the shuffle. Maybe they were too slow to pull the trigger on him. I felt like he had a ton of momentum a while back and maybe some of that has dissipated, but we actually get to see him wrestle here, which is almost a treat because he is a great performer. Um, but for whatever reason, they get nine minutes here. Elias picks up the win. This was probably my least favorite match on night one. And, and I think it's just because in order for a, a true heel to be at his best, he's got to have crowd. He's got to have the crowd there. And in the absence of that, it's just not the same.
3: No, and it, you know it's really interesting. I had a a, a chance when I was uh, with WWE this past summer uh, to get to know Corbin fairly well. You know, I we we talked a lot. You know, creatively and just in general, uh, trying to get to know each other and developing a relationship that would hopefully you know expand so that we could explore. You know creative issues and the same is true with Elias I I feel of you know of all the talent on the roster that I hadn't known before I got to WWE that I got to know a little bit while I was there uh Corbin and Elias kind of fall into that category and I really really uh impressed with both of them Corbin I think is an underrated heel I I really like his attitude I, I love everything about him I like his work um uh, Elias a great talent and you're right he got a lot of exposure the guitar thing you know singing and the interrupts all got him over pretty well uh, but they just have never they meaning creative have really and, 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 and Elias himself has just never really seemed to have found a character that they can or the aspect of the character beyond the guitar issues or guitar performances that they could really dig into deeply I like the match. I, uh, the only thing that I uh, kind of uh, took me out of the moment for a minute was that bump that um, Elias took off the balcony. Yeah, well, that, uh, or, that, or oh. the, it, it was—it was a cute little, you know, edit there to really dramatize the the distance that he fell. And I—I I get it; it's cinematic, very you know, stunt coordinating kind of approach to things. It was effective, but again, it took me out of that. Oh, this is live moment.
0: Yeah, listen, I I actually like some of the pre-tape aspects, but I think uh, we first saw that cut on like a uh, an episode of SmackDown, and I don't know, sort of is what it is. I felt like maybe the match that was affected the most by there not being a crowd was the next one. Uh, Shayna Baszler comes to the ring looking like a badass and. Uh, I love the package that included the word shit. I know that's silly, but, uh, that, that a grown man would like that. But I do feel like in a true fight, it's hard for me to get behind. I'm going to kick your butt and, and Shayna Baszler being presented as this badass, this mauler, who's literally gnawing into the flesh of Becky Lynch. I like that. She had that sort of hard edge, but then I, I thought it was a little weird to see Becky Lynch drive up to the quote unquote arena in an 18 wheeler with no audience. And it was to use your word again, jarring to see that 18 wheeler come onto the property and it not be met with the roar of a crowd. Instead, it's just a horn in a neighborhood in central Florida. Um, I appreciated what they were trying for here, but the presentation of the big 18 wheeler sort of, Came off a little hokey for me here. What did you think?
3: Yeah, I'm with you on that, and I'll, and I'll break it down. I'm just kind of looking at my notes here. One of the first things that I, I noted, I hate, now we're going to overuse this term. I'm going to try to think of another one as we go through here, but this jarring contrast between the excitement and the scale and the anticipation, the story, all of the great elements of that package, and then cutting to the performance center. And there's nothing, not a criticism. For God's sake, please, 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 don't take anything that I'm saying here as a criticism, because it is what it is. But it really, once again, took me out of the moment. Uh, The semi arrival that was DOA for me. Yeah. When I saw that semi coming up, it it completely unplugged me. Um, I I I got up to go down and grab a pickle. (laughs) It just it so took me out of the moment, and it wasn't necessary. Had they picked that shot up with Becky getting out of the truck yes. and making the entrance, I'm in. I would have put it over. But for whatever reason, they felt the need to see the truck drive up, and it was so – it's such a square peg and such a round hole. Uh, there just wasn't a big enough big enough hammer to make that fit for me, and it just completely unplugged me.
0: I did actually like the match, though. Uh, the ladies get about eight and a half minutes here. Becky Lynch wins. I think a lot of people probably expected the way it had built that Shayna would win. Uh, I was glad that that was not the case. Uh, I thought, you know, they should definitely keep it on Becky. Uh, she's got a lot of momentum and I appreciated what they were doing with Shayna and hope that she still has, uh, some, some sort of top programs in her future. Cause I think she's a very talented performer, but, uh, Becky Lynch got her hand raised. what did you think of the match?
3: Um, I, I thought it was okay. It was, it, And maybe it was because I got unplugged <laughs> with the semi-truck arrival. It was kind of already, you know, my, my, my frame of mind had already kind of, I don't know, just disengaged a little bit on it. So the match to me was just okay. But I'll tell you what I saw as a highlight. Um, I thought Shayna Baszler at this point in WrestleMania was the most effective talent thus far on the show. In terms of how to get into the ring and and how to remain in character given the environment she was in. If we go back and watch it, she didn't mug to the crowd. She didn't try to pretend there was a crowd there when there wasn't. She was and maybe it's because of her MMA experience she just kind of looked at you know this this match w- with Becky as what it should be or should feel to her, which is the fight of her life. Mm-hmm. and when you're in the fight of your life, you're not mugging to the crowd, especially if there's not one there and and you're focused and you're intense and you're you're you know you have a job to do. That was the feeling that I got from Shayna from the minute she walked out on camera. Throughout the entire match. I think at this point, and we're going to talk about others as we go forward. But at this point, my note was Shayna probably adapted better to the no audience environment than anybody that I had seen on the show this far. It made she made me believe she made me believe everybody else. Everybody else proved to me. There was no reason for me to believe Shayna made me believe just because of the way she carried herself.
0: I really enjoyed, and this is the first time it like really stuck out for me, the smack talk between the performers. You know, when when they're both on the floor, you could see right in front of the announcers. You could hear Shayna saying uh, "some hero, huh?" and just little things like that. I thought really stuck out, and it's those little details that that make up for the fact that there's no crowd. So I dug it. And the next match I thought was going to be my favorite match on the show. It's Sami Zayn defending against Daniel Bryan. I think Daniel Bryan is one of the most talented in-ring performers in the history of wrestling. Uh, and this match was a good match, but maybe I set myself up and, and I didn't like it or I set the expectations too high. Maybe I just didn't think it was long enough. I don't know. They got nine minutes and 20 seconds. Sami Zayn gets the win. Daniel Bryan was pulling out all the stops. He had one particular suicide dive that was just unbelievable. Um, I, I dug the match because I liked the performers, but. Maybe I was hoping for a little longer.
3: What do you think? I, I liked it. And at this point, and I, I, I actually went on Twitter last night live uh, while I was watching this match and, and put it over. at For me, at this point last night, this was the batch, best match thus far. Yeah. Um, on, a, on a scale of 1 to 10, it was the highest rated for me thus far. I gave it a 7.5. I, I don't want to say it was my favorite from last night, but... If it's either number one or number two, and I'll tell you why. Now, again, as I say this, I recognize everybody sees or enjoys different aspects of professional wrestling and sports entertainment, right? Some people really love the really intense, physical, you know, stiff, you know, shoot style matches. Other people love the really, you know, athletic, acrobatic, aerial kind of high flying, fast paced. Um, style, you know, cruiserweight style, as they call it, or whatever it is now. Um, everybody finds something that they they enjoy the most, and it's not all the same. For me, and again, this has a lot to do with the way I grew up watching wrestling, the way I grew up presenting it, the way I grew up producing it, the way I grew up participating in it. I really love great psychology. I really more than the physicality. More than you know, more than how perfect someone can do a, you know, a high high risk, very complex move. More than that, I appreciate a good story, and I appreciate good character, and I appreciate good timing, and and pacing. For me, this match checked all of those boxes. I thought both. First of all, I think Sammy Zayn. I'm I'm embarrassed, quite honestly, that I haven't put him over more than I have since leaving WWE. Because I dug him the minute I got there. I dug working with him, and I really enjoy watching him work. His promo last night was off the fucking charts. Great. He is so good. He is so good. He's not only articulate. But he can tell a story, and he does such a great job with his character. Obviously, Daniel Bryan. Can't say enough great things about Daniel Bryan. I thought this match was excellent. Sammy played a classic heel. He was a classic chicken shit heel. He embraced it. Every aspect of of who Sami Zayn was in that ring last night reeked of being a classic heel. And for me, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I didn't have any expectations going in. I didn't have any expectations to any of the show going in because it was such a unique situation. I was prepared to be disoriented, <laughs> to put it mildly, but I thought this match was great. I thought both of them did a great job under the in the environment. With one exception, that dumbass, you know, yes chant, to an <laughs> empty arena.
0: <laughs> I knew I mean, you were going to take issue with that.
3: I mean what in what the fuck? And again, I don't know if that's just you know, you're on autopilot when you're out there because you've probably had a match similar to this right maybe two or three thousand times in the last two years. I don't know. But man talk about unplugging me and needing to hit the restart button that just took that took me out of it but aside from that the dialogue in the ring between Sammy and, and Daniel Bryan actually enhanced it yes. it didn't it, it wasn't distracting like it wasn't for me at least in some of the previous matches it enhanced the experience it didn't take away from it and that's largely due to the you know the professionalism and, and just how good Sammy and Daniel are as performers mm-hmm and how well-rounded they are, but I, I thought it was great. I really dug it.
0: Ow! Damn it! These are the sounds I used to make whenever I would cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped.com. Thank you, Manscaped, for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. Men, start taking notes because manscaping accidents are a thing of the past thanks to Manscaped.com. Of course, we're talking about the fact that there's no more cuts and nicks with the all-new Lawnmower 3.0 from manscaped.com this is their third generation trimmer featuring the same advanced skin safe technology to help keep you and those bad boys nice and smooth the manscaped engineering team has spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved lawnmower 3.0 and this thing is premium check this out the battery will last up to 90 minutes it even has an led light which helps you illuminate the grooming area for more precise trimming And don't forget about the fast charging dock. It's all done through a USB and everybody is loving the new lawnmower 3.0. In fact, they're sending us DMS of before and afters. Please stop that. You need to try this out for yourself though. I'm a believer and you will be too, but you get 20% off with free shipping. When you use our promo code 83 weeks at manscaped.com your balls will thank you. One more time, 20% off and free shipping with the promo code 83 weeks at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Just use the promo code 83 weeks, your partner, your dick and your balls. will thank you. Yeah. To be clear, I think this is definitely the best match of the night so far, but it is going to be defeated, at least in my mind by two other matches. And I thought coming into this, well, nothing's going to be able to hang with that. Not to take away from either performer. I do wish, you know, if, if we had, you know, the benefit of hindsight, as you've often said, and what a powerful tool that is shave a few minutes off of the ladies tag, slot it over to this one. Uh, the next match, though, was not star for time. John Morrison, Jimmy Uso, Kofi Kingston. It's a triple threat ladder match for the Tag Team Championship. I know a lot of people are going to look at that on paper, out of context, because as we know here on the show, context is king, and they're going to say, wait a minute, three individuals wrestling for tag titles? Well, of course, the backstory that we know is uh, Daniel Bryan, or excuse me, The Miz, was not able to compete. And they didn't know that until day of the rumor and innuendo is that he had a fever. And so, uh, during these unique times, they made the right call to not let him compete. So how do you pull one guy out of a tag team title defense after you've built it up? Uh, you can't. So instead of this being six guys, they went with three and I felt like this is maybe the best example of chicken salad ever. You know, it's, it's a less than ideal situation, but I thought the match was very entertaining. Uh, they get plenty of time. Uh, I think it's over 18 minutes here. Kofi Kingston, of course, was, was the hero at last year's WrestleMania. So he's in a, a cool spot here. I've often thought that the Usos as individual performers could be real breakout stars. And i i particularly like the finish where you've got all three guys going for it at the exact same time. Of course, Uso and, and Kofi Kingston both wind up holding the apparatus that held the belts Morrison actually has the belts. Uh, welcome back to WWE Morrison retains here. I I dug this and I thought it was well done. And the idea that you don't have the craziness of the crowd while it could take you out of it, it does allow you to hear the smack talk between the guys and the impact of this ladder against human flesh. It was unique
3: and I enjoyed it. I didn't. I, I, I had a hard time with this one um, and, and maybe it's, you know, because the way I feel about gimmick matches um, I I've, I've enjoyed many of the latter matches that WWE has presented over the decades. I get it. Um, but I think for me, again, my unique perspective, it's all mine. Kind of like my fingerprints. Uh, it's not right, not wrong. It's just, it is what it is. I think to me, this match represented what happens when you depend so much on the spectacle of mm-hmm. a match mm-hmm. as opposed to the story and the characters within it. To me, this was all spectacle. It, 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 and par- partly because the story had to be adjusted. I get all that. Those are things that were out of everybody's control. And, and I'm gonna I'll stipulate to that. But the the presentation itself to me, I was thinking while I was watching this, this is exactly why you have to adjust to the realities of of what you're doing. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to disagree with me because a lot of people love this. And by the way, I I agree with you. You should love it, right? But for me, my taste, my perspective, um, there was no danger. When there's no crowd to react to the danger, there's no danger. It it, it's just a spectacle for the sake of a spectacle, and without the crowd to support it and help give it credibility, and emotion, and drama, it was just—I don't know—I didn't dig it. I I and I feel horrible, horrible for saying this. You know, I don't know Jimmy Uso, but I and I do know John Morrison quite well. I worked with him my first run in WWE as a talent. Um, I, I've worked with him, you know, since leaving WWE on a movie. I've I've done different things with John. I see him regularly. I think he's one of the, you know, coolest people in the business. I, I've always liked John, and and I got to know Kofi a little bit working with him. I have nothing but respect for all three of them, and clearly recognize how hard they had to work to even try to pull this off. But I think the pre- the presentation was ill-conceived, given given this environment. I'm not I'm not sure I would have done it. Um, it just didn't work for me without a crowd to to help support it. What would you have done? I, I would have just gone to a three-way. I would have, I would have let them have because they would have been able to have more action. They would have been able to tell more of a of a story. There would have, could have been more drama. Um, it had they had a, a a triple threat match without without the ladders, I, I just to me the ladders without the crowd made it feel so out of place that I just couldn't invest in it.
0: I I think maybe the reason I like it is because I realize you know they didn't have any time to sort of build this the way a typical match would be you know as far as how you put together a spectacle like this to use your word to know that. Hey, they find out just uh, maybe hours before, okay, so Miz is out. What are we going to do? Uh, but something they didn't have to rethink is Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. And for me, this was the show stealer. Of course, the main event is its own thing. We're going to talk about that, but my goodness, I can't put into words how much I enjoyed this one. I didn't have really high expectations for it going in. I don't know why I have felt like a few years ago, Seth Rollins was arguably the best wrestler in the world. And it's been a little while since I felt that way. And I think when Kevin Owens first came to the company and and was immediately put in a, a program with, um, John Cena, he sold a lot of people and they were big time believers. And then for whatever reason, it feels like, you know, the company has not gotten behind him maybe the way they should have or could have since, but what a fucking match this was. I really enjoyed all the aspects I've already sort of put over so far of, you could hear the trash talking, you could hear the impact, uh, the sounds of the performers themselves were really amplified and really added to this. I thought this was the show stealer so far, and and I can't recommend it enough. If you haven't seen this match, I think you should go watch it as soon as possible. What'd you think, Eric?
3: I, I absolutely agree with you. And you know, my run in WWE, my most recent run of all the people that I did, you know, get a chance to, to get to know. Uh Kevin Owens is probably the one that I talk to most frequently. Uh, he I really did Kevin, really, really did Kevin Owens as a professional. As a as a person too. I got to know him a little bit as a person. He's a super guy. But as a pro, man, he is passionate. Um and, and you know, sometimes passion isn't always, you know, your best friend. Sometimes one can be too passionate or or, or too um, entrenched in a certain perspective. And I think any young talent and Kevin is still a young talent in, in, in the big scheme of things. When you look at the Steve Austin's and the undertakers and the John Cena's and the rocks and the Ric Flair's of the world, you know, people at that, you know, Mount Rushmore type of level, you know, Kevin Owens is still, you know, he's still working at it. And, and I think he's a phenomenal person, a ph- phenomenal pro. This match was outstanding. Seth Rollins did a great job. I agree with you up to this point. Show stealer. Um, close. I've still, Daniel Bryan and Sami Zayn to me, you know, was like an eyelash behind it mm-hmm. at this point. But but I, I agree with you. And I, hats off to both Seth and Kevin for doing an incredible job under amazingly challenging circumstances.
0: What was cool too is, you know, the pivot. I think, you know, with the big bell shot and, and kudos to whoever was, uh, what do they call it in the movies business where, uh, the, a couple of guys get together in a sound stage and they watch the movie on a big screen and then they find apparatuses to make the noise that matches the film. Is that called Foley? Is that, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <All> right, so <laughs>
3: the sound effects was awesome.
0: Whoever did that with the bell home run, you nailed it. Uh, but I, I felt like. When they went to the DQ, like, oh man, but then of course they just turn it right into a, D, uh, a no DQ and get going. So you got to see sort of two aspects and it's a little thing, but you often talk about the presentation. I don't really dig this whole Messiah persona that, that Seth Rollins has embraced. I mean, I like the, the white pants or whatever he's going for there, but the actual ring garb and calling himself the Messiah, I, I, I could do without that, but I did like, and this is a little thing. But I think most of Kevin Owens career, he's worn like wrestling sneakers and, and kick pads. And now he's doing the old school, traditional lace up knee high boots. Uh, and, and I, I don't know why, but the presentation of the characters here and the way they meshed together and they showed what they could do in a traditional wrestling match and then turn the volume up and do a no DQ. And then the big bump off the sign that people are going to talk about for a long time I thought it, I mean, I don't know how else these guys could have showcased what they're capable of better than what we saw last night.
3: hundred percent agree. hundred percent.
0: All right. Now something we're going to probably, maybe we'll disagree or maybe, I don't know. Goldberg loses the belt to Braun Strowman in two minutes and 10 seconds. Of course, this wasn't the original plan. We all know it was supposed to be Roman Reigns and Goldberg and, um, Roman Reigns elected not to participate given his recent health challenges and and all of the um pandemic stuff going on with coronavirus probably the right call for him and his family and they were stuck with okay what do we do and i assumed there would be a storytelling aspect to smackdown when we saw that there would be a substitution they sort of even hinted at that when Triple H was doing some press and some PR to promote the event. He says, well, we'll explain it in a storyline way because fans have known for a while now, more than a week that Roman reigns is not going to be participating in WrestleMania and Roman reigns even leaked it himself and addressed it on, uh, his social media. I think it was like an Instagram live or something like that, but they don't even explain it here, how Braun Strowman is in the spot. And I guess, you know, maybe they didn't have time. Maybe they didn't think it was necessary but it was necessary to get the belt off of Goldberg, not a big Goldberg fan, as you know, and, uh, I think the the presentation of Goldberg without fans makes it even more challenging. At least they kept it short. Uh, I, <laughs> whoever was agenting this match probably just said, okay, three spears. What about four power slams? And that beats it. That's pretty much it. Braun Strowman gets the win. He's your universal champion. What'd you think of the substitution? from Roman to Braun Strowman and how they really didn't explain the story. And what did you think of Braun being put in the spot? And then what did you think of the match? God,
3: so many questions kind of so many questions are coming at me right, and left, right, and left, bam, bam. Um, let's back up for a second. Our truth before this <laughs> match came out, <laughs> our truth and I'm just going, you know, I'm just going with my notes, right? Sure. Our our truth is the most entertaining character in WWE. No one else is close.
0: In professional wrestling, probably.
3: I mean, he is so good. Damn, he's gold. I just love him, and his the, the, that little skit that they did just it brought me right back into it because it was so entertaining all the, 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 just the, the oddness of watching what I had been watching up to this point in front of no crowd and watching how talent was adjusting or not adjusting to the realities of it. And, you know, the square pegs and the round holes and all the other stuff was kind of getting me down a little bit. And this, this promo with our truth brought me right back to life. It was that freaking good. Um, he's gotta be,
0: he's gotta be a lifer with the company. You know, he
3: should have his own show for crying out loud.
0: I'm a big fan of R-Truth. I- I'm not necessarily a big fan of him doing this with Mojo and Gronk, but still.
3: Well, that, that's got nothing to do with him. No, he, he hit a home his run. Char- his character over He That character can over-deliver in probably any circumstance you put him in. Right. It's just amazing to me. I just can't say enough great shit about him. All right, now let's talk about Goldberg. Um, Before we get to that, another note I had. Paul Heyman is, when it comes to mic work, Paul Heyman is in a universe, a Galactica, all his own. There's just nobody. There's nobody any better when it comes to mic work than Paul Heyman. Amazing. And to put a period at the end of that, there's nothing else to say. Um, Braun versus Goldberg. Look, I'm not going to comment on what they did right, what they did wrong, what they should have done, what they shouldn't have done, and all that kind of happy horse shit that everybody else talks about, because I don't know the circumstances. Right. I wasn't there. Sure. I, when I say I don't know the circumstances, timing, you know, the the, the, the entire process, what went into making this change at a rel- on a relatively short notice, given that it was one of the bigger matches on the card, quite frankly. Yeah. Or anticipated to be so. Um, since I don't have any of the backstory, I'm going to refrain from casting any aspersions or making judgments on how well or not things were done leading up to this match. The match itself, I thought, for a Bill Goldberg, Braun Strowman match on short notice, it overdelivered. <laughs> I thought- I, well, I, I don't know why. I thought it was a good match. I thought they did a great job. Look, if the purpose of this match, and this is where I get frustrated with anybody who's not me. <laughs> I was
0: going
3: to say, with me, here we go. Huh? With me, here we go. No, 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 no. Not because you, you're just like you know a lot of people, and, and I get it. But if the purpose of this match was to get Braun over against a guy, look, Bill Goldberg, and I've been saying this since the day I met him, he's got a limited, he's got a limited repertoire. You're not going to put him in a ring and he's not going to have a 30 minute match with anybody that you're going to want to see. He, and he never has, right? It's not his thing. It's not his character. It's not his style. It's not what the audience wants to see. It is what it is. Um, but I thought the match, the body of the match, the four spears, the comeback, um, I thought Bill did a great job. I thought Braun did a great job. And for what it was, (laughs) I thought it over. I thought it. I thought it over-delivered. When I say what it was, the reason I that, emphasize that is because it was a replacement match on very short freaking notice. Right. That they didn't have time. They didn't have a month to go to, to work together and talk together, come up with great ideas and work with an agent like Michael Hayes or whomever uh, and, and lay out a, you know a WrestleMania spectacular kind of a match. They didn't have the time to do that. So, given what it was and the circumstances that it played out in I thought i i really I thought it was a great match. I thought both guys did a great job. I thought Bill did a great job, I thought Braun did a great job, and it served its purpose very well.
0: I oh, hope this is the end of Bill Goldberg wrestling. you know I'm, i don't, I don't know what else there is to, for us to see you know it, It's funny because uh, a friend of ours uh, texted me after this match was over and and he said, uh, "Hey, look, Bill did his move." Uh, you know, he, he was such a phenomenon 20 years ago and it's just different now and he's older and that's okay. This should be the end. And, uh, you know, let him come out and wave and do speeches and, uh, I don't know, motivate the youth or whatever, but in ring man, goodness gracious, this was just
3: not good for me. All right. Well, we, we we see things differently, so let's move along.
0: If your mailbox is anything like mine, ninety percent of the time it's a fairly depressing place. Got some political flyers, some utility bills, an unholy amount of coupons. But once a month, I've got something to be stoked about, and that's because I know about my box of awesome from Bespoke Post. Bespoke Post send guys only the best stuff every single month, and no matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, outdoor gear. Box of Awesome has carefully built collections for every part of your life. You've often heard me talk about the weekender bag. Cassio Kid and I actually got in a wrestling match over it here at the house once. And I told him, dude, it's easy. Just go to boxofawesome.com. To get started, you'll take the quiz right there on the, on the website. You'll answer a couple of questions that'll help them pick the right box of awesome for you. And eventually, you may get one of these bags. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up, and you can skip a month or cancel any time. Doesn't get any easier than that. Each box costs only 45 bucks, but check this out. It's got more than $70 worth of gear inside. And right now, you can get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the promo code 83weeks at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com. And the promo code is 83 weeks to get 20% off your first box. Eric loves his aging kit. We all know Eric loves a cocktail. Find out for yourself how cool some of this stuff is. Just check it out Boxofawesome.com And when you fall in love, get a great deal. When you use our promo code 83 weeks, is it going to get any better than the undertaker AJ styles? People were shitting on this. The minute it was announced, uh, the undertaker is too old and oh, he should just retire and blah, blah, blah. And then when they made it a boneyard match, and of course, we're not going to call it a graveyard match. That's probably a a Vince McMahon uh, edict with everything going on with the coronavirus, which, by the way, was not said one time during the show. And I know a lot of people were critical of that online saying, well, is coronavirus a banned word like hospital? Man, this is supposed to be your escape from that. I'm glad they didn't say that. Uh, I, I think it's a, a cool thing to just leave that word completely out. This is supposed to be our escape from the twenty four seven hype around the coronavirus. But the Undertaker's Boneyard match is the first time I feel like Vince McMahon ever really got to live up to his Beyond the Mat speech, where he took a a big swig of his his bottled water and smirked. We make movies here, and Lord, this was a movie uh, shot like a horror movie. On location, they got plenty of time, like more than a half hour, and it's not just an ass-kicking, it's an ass-kicking to a soundtrack. We get Metallica here. Uh, I thought this is about as good as WWE. This is probably the best outside-of-the-ring WWE thing ever produced. I I can't put it over enough. I loved it and thought it was the perfect way to end Night 1, and if they really wanted to... Put a bow on the Undertaker character. I mean, if he's really at fifty-five looking for a way to retire uh and, and sort of go out on top, I can't imagine it ever being better than this. And and this show being pre-taped really lent itself to his character. And we didn't just see the the traditional spooky Undertaker. It was badass Undertaker, and I loved everything about it except For the end, when he, when they dump the dirt and you see AJ's hand coming through, I understand that is a hallmark that Vince and maybe Bruce absolutely love, maybe I could have done without that. But the rest of this thing I thought was just phenomenal. It exceeded all my expectations. What'd you think?
3: Jarring, but in a, but in a great way and hats off major props to everyone at WWE who made the decision whoever that was, to try this because this, this is one of those things th- that I'm sure required a lot of conversation
1: Sure.
3: Um, conceptually, not, not just to lay it out, but the fact that you're going to present this, this match. We'll just call it a match. It wasn't even really a match to me, but we're going to call it one anyway because that's what we do here. Um, in such a unique way that is so counter to everything that had really been done before. And at such a high level that you, you you run the risk. You, you do run the risk of the audience going, Oh, come on, not a movie inside of a WrestleMania because they're two different things, you know, and this is, and I'm not doing a good job articulating this, this early in the morning. And I apologize for that. But you know, when you produce television, you're either a live event Or I'm going to leave news out of it. It's a category in itself. Or you're you're a scripted, you know, product, uh, scripted uh, television show or movie, feature film, um, or you're a sitcom. You know, you're a category, and to take this match out of the live venue. And put it in a pre tape venue. That's been done before. Put it in a pre tape environment. That's been done before. I did it in WCW. It had been done long before me. That's not unusual. But to put the sound effects and the music behind it and all of the things that they they did to make this such a cinematic experience, which is 180 degrees from the live experience, and that's what we normally see, I, I thought it was a huge. It was a risk. And I thought it paid off massively. I thought it, it, it raised the storytelling component to WWE to an entirely new level. Can't say enough great things about it in many respects. It wasn't perfect. You know, it wasn't perfect, but it was so good in so many ways. I can't put it up enough. Put it over enough. But, but aside from putting it over generally, I really want to say here: I think AJ Styles is becoming one of the most interesting characters in WWE. Mm-hmm. He is really, really expanding as a performer. And I worked with AJ a lot when I first got to TNA, and he had such a narrow perspective of his character. You know, he, 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 he saw his character through the eye of a needle is how narrowly he saw the character AJ Styles in TNA. And we pushed him, both Hulk and I pushed him to expand the way he looked at his character and to try new things and to embrace things that were really counterintuitive to who AJ Styles is as a human being. Um, but he has embraced it. He's expanded it. He's, ah, oh God, he was so good in this. And obviously so was Undertaker. I don't want to leave Undertaker out of this. But look, Undertaker's Undertaker. Right. right? right. He's been doing this a long time. Yep. Everybody expects him to be able to deliver a great performance. And he certainly did here. But I think the story for me in this match is, aside from the production values, aside from taking such a huge leap and presenting something so unique and so different in an already unique and challenged, you know, environment, you know, took a, a massive set of collective balls. And I respect the people who were involved in that decision, as well as those who produced it. But to me, the story is AJ Styles. I mean, he, if this was a movie he should win an academy award for supporting cast member cuz he really did a phenomenal freaking job
0: the uh the smack talk with each other really helped tell the story you know when undertaker's uh standing over him saying how old am i again what's my wife's name and aj's not responding and when when aj's talking smack about you're just too old you don't have it anymore and undertaker flips him off and then later right before the finish when you you hear aj almost whimper please don't bury me don't bury me please don't bury me it 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 felt like you're in the moment for a minute and you forget hey this is a quote-unquote wrestling match this isn't this isn't sons of anarchy a deleted scene this isn't a horror movie this i thought it maybe it's the best thing undertaker's ever done like I I
3: agree, brother. I I agree. And and again, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to put over AJ and and this is, I think the theme here, you know, and looking back at this 2020 hindsight, armchair quarterback, all the, all that shit that I hate, um, honestly that we're doing, (laughs) but I, I think AJ delivered a performance that helped make undertaker look even more believable than he already is. I think Undertaker brought out the best in AJ. What we saw here was great storytelling. With this and in addition to, you, know, being so well produced, d- delivering something that was different than talk about different than, <laughs> better than different than, less than. This was a huge different than moment for WWE and, and Taker and, and AJ. But aside from all that, you know, what you just explained here was a match that had a backstory. We saw the setup leading up to it. We know that, you know, what was the premise of this match? AJ Styles, young gun, disrespecting the old old gunfighter. Been there, done that. We've seen that movie a million times. John Wayne's last movie was with Ron Howard. It was called The Shootist. That was this movie. Okay, that was this, this what we just saw with AJ and Undertaker was a movie called The Shootist with John Wayne and Ron Howard. John Wayne's last movie. Same premise. But done so freaking well. And it, when when you said, you know, it, it allowed me to forget, I was watching, you know, what I was watching, and I because you got you believed it. Yeah. And you believed it because A, there was backstory. You understood who is the protagonist, who is the antagonist, sorry, who is the baby face, who is the heel. You understood it. You understood AJ's perspective and his point of view. You you felt a certain way about AJ as a result, and then through the body of this match and the dialogue, the real dialogue that enhanced the characters that took place between AJ and, and Undertaker only served to make it more believable. Contrast that to some of the chatter that was going on in some of the matches, and I'm not picking on them, but the opening tag match. You know, uh, the women's tag match. That was chatter. That shit was distracting to me. That didn't serve any purpose. Mm. It was what talent typically does when there's an arena and they have to kind of help get the crowd into things and make the cameras hear that they're really into it. They've got to do it really big because the talent has to overcome the noise that the crowd's making. Mm. But when there is no crowd, all that loud chatter and noise that goes inside, inside of the ring actually is distracting. In this case, the, it wasn't chatter. It was dialogue, and the dialogue enhanced the story. It enhanced the characters. and made it more believable. Can't put it over enough.
0: And you know, I got to give props to WWE for embracing this, because this could have gone, as you said, you know, when we first started talking about this, really either way. I
3: mean, it, this could have been the giant falling off Cobo Hall.
0: Oh, you're exactly right. And, you know, we, we don't talk about it a lot, but. TNA tried a lot of this type of stuff, you know, the cinematic, you know, we're going to shoot something and, and turn it into a movie style and some of it works and some of it doesn't, uh, and, and props to them for, for having the balls to try it. But dude, this was just, I don't know. This was outstanding for me. And, and I have to admit, I'm not, I'm not like a, a big undertaker character fan. I've always thought it was a little silly that he could summon lightning and he's undead and we've got this urn that shines light side of it and so yeah you know, whatever i i get that a lot of people grew up with it and they love it so i don't judge it but this biker version of him is a whole new level to me and i always liked biker taker and to see that that's what we get like this to me if undertaker hangs it up right now it's akin to when john elway finally wins the super bowl and hangs it up it's like well i ain't beating that i'm done if, if undertaker wanted to leave right now what a fucking legacy. It does, Nobody's going to think about the, the shit show in Saudi Arabia with Goldberg, all that's gone and, and nobody's going to even remember that, Hey, he left his boots and jacket and hat or whatever in the middle of the ring with Roman reigns. A few years ago, this would be the way to say, man, I ain't beating that I'm done, I'm going to go the
3: other way. I think this, <laughs> I hate to say reincarnation of undertaker. But this version, this this latest evolution of Undertaker in this particular story, the way it was presented last night, the first part of WrestleMania, first night of WrestleMania, um, I think they left the door open. I think AJ, here's I'm, I'm going to spend a couple minutes talking about this, and I'm, I'm really this is just this is just visceral. This I hadn't thought about this until you and I started talking about it just now. I agree with you. 100% if, if if Undertaker decides okay that's it I I I've, I've gone out on a high note or I can go out on a high note I don't I'm done great if that's his choice however if he were to choose to embrace this new version and it's not really a new version it's just an a, a, a shift back to right. you know a different version of Undertaker but this story because AJ was made in the comment, comments about Undertaker's wife and that was kind of the premise of the the underlying premise of the conflict between the two of them and all that and the way it played out some of the dialogue you know for me at least I thought before the end of it you know before that you jumped on the the uh, the front end loader and dumped the dirt on AJ I really thought wow this is kind of a Babyface and heel come together. The young Babyface actually learns to respect the older veteran. You know, again, much, much the way the the movie The Shoot is played out in some respects. Um, if they decide to carry the storyline forward, I think it's got legs. And I think the great thing about this this. Evolution of Undertaker's character is that it doesn't require him to do the same things that he did before. He doesn't have to go out there and have the same type of matches that he used to have 5, 10, 15 years ago with this new character. I, and I used to say, you know, I used to say the same thing to Hulk. You know, look, he, there are certain things you just can't do anymore. Or if you do them, it hurts it, it, it you know the risk is too high and it really doesn't look as good as it used to look 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago anyway. So why do it? Why not just stick with you know go out there and cup your ears and get the crowd fired up. you could reduce your you know your set list to one or two moves, end it off with a big punch you know cup your hand to your ears again and you're gonna to get just as big a pop as you would have if you would have gone out there and had a 25 minute match. And I think the same is true here with Undertaker. This this version now, this extended version of Biker Taker, I like that Biker Taker. Um, I think opens the door. For Undertaker to have some significant, important matches, tell some really interesting stories without having to have a match inside of the ring that has to live up to the expectations of matches that he had previously with some of the bigger names over the last 5, 10, 15 years. So I if he, if he decides to hang up the boots, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Undertaker fan. I'm a big Mark Calloway fan. I got to know him a little bit over the last couple of years thanks to Bruce. Um, I think he's a hell of a man hell of a human being. If he decides to hang it up, God bless you. If he decides to keep it going, I'm excited for him because I think the door's open, especially between he and AJ. And I think, I think undertaker can really help elevate AJ if they decide to move it forward.
0: I, uh, I I appreciate what you just said. And I totally agree that this sort of pre-taped outside of the ring format and, and this sort of feature film style presentation would be something that fans would get excited about, but I do think it, it's going to be to diminishing returns because there was no expectation. You didn't have to live up to anything. People thought, hey, this could be interesting, or I think a lot of people thought, well, this is just going to be stupid, uh, and, and it was it was, it was, was both interesting and not stupid. It was the other way. It was fucking awesome, and, and I know a lot of people were going to hype this up so much. Maybe they haven't seen it. They're going to go watch it, and they're going to say, oh, this was a cheesy B-movie, but... The reality is we didn't know what it was going to look like. And because it, it left everybody thinking, man, this is the fucking greatest thing I've ever seen. I mean, I think JBL said, I often thought, you know, Shawn Michaels and Undertaker at WrestleMania 25 is the best match I've ever seen, but that was the best match I've ever seen. And it's not even a traditional match, but it has such high praise. I just don't think they'll ever live up to it again. Don't get me wrong. It would still be entertaining. And I'm with you on and I really thought based on the promo that we saw, which was really good. They had a lot of great promos leading up to this, but I think it was last week uh, or maybe it was a couple of days ago. I forget, but the undertaker did a promo where he talked about having his Trinity with him. Um, you know, cause we knew that Gallows and Anderson were going to be there. And I think a lot of people assumed, well, that means Kane is going to be here somewhere. Uh, but of course, uh, he's the mayor of Knox County and he's got real life business going on right now. I think a lot of people assumed, well, maybe there will be a Michelle McCool element, but we didn't need any of that for this to be awesome. And I don't think I'll ever forget AJ whimpering, "Please don't bury me." It was so real. It was fantastic, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as Eric and I did. You know, we're we're halfway through here. If you're listening on AdFreeShows dot uh, com, we'll be back tomorrow to break down part two. Uh, and if you're on the regular feed well you could have listened to this yesterday at adfreeshows.com we're at the halfway point eric so far thumbs up thumbs down thumbs in the middle
3: Th- thumbs way up for me for for all of the right reasons and you know performances effort risk taking uh, new presentation making chicken salad out of chicken shit, call it whatever you want. I, I just, uh, I can't say enough good things about it. Hats off to everybody, people that we know, people that we'll never know, um, who were behind the scenes pulling this thing off. Um, really appreciated it. And I'm looking forward to, uh, night number two tonight,
0: man. If you like sex, you're going to love blue You see Bluetooth offers men a performance enhancement for the bedroom where you get the first chewables with the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. Here's how it works. A bluechew.com affiliated physician will work with you to find the right dosage and active ingredient that's best for you. And chewables can work faster. And the chewables from bluechew.com can be taken on a full or empty stomach. By the way, the online physician console is free. So blue chew is also cheaper than both Viagra and Cialis. And it only takes a few minutes to connect with a BlueChew.com affiliated physician. And if you qualify, you get prescribed online very quickly. To recap, there's no in-person doctor visit, no awkward conversation, no waiting in line at a pharmacy. In fact, this ships directly to your door, all in discreet packaging. The chewables from BlueChew.com are prescribed online by a doctor and, of course, made right here in the USA. BlueChew is going to give you the confidence in bed you need every time. You and your partner will love it, so chew it and do it. And here's a great deal for you guys. Visit bluechew.com and get your first order for free. When you use promo code 83 weeks, just pay $5 shipping. That's B L U E C H E W.com. And the promo code is 83 weeks. That's bluechew.com and use the promo code 83 weeks. Well, Eric, let's get into it. Night two WrestleMania 36. It's completely in the books now. And, uh, I got to tell you, this was, uh, this was not exactly what I was expecting. You know, we were so hot after the first one. I don't know what I expected with the second one, but it was going to be a real challenge for them to try to top uh, night number one for me. Before we get going, do you think they succeeded? Was
3: night two better? Um, I You know, it's hard to say. I Like you, night one over-delivered for me in so many different ways. Um, you know, we had the obvious challenge uh, of you know presenting WrestleMania in a venue with no audience. Number right. one, and it was a smaller, more limited venue. You know, it, it, it is a soundstage for all intents and purposes, uh, which makes it really difficult to come up with ideas that are fresh or moments that are fresh within the body of a match that we haven't seen before. Um, all, all of those things were, were huge challenges. And I think that, you know, on, on night one, Saturday night, I think WWE over delivered in so many ways that made you forget mm-hmm. about the stark reality of the challenges that, that were presented for this WrestleMania and left you, it uh, left me at least on a, on a pretty high note. And I, I went into night two with lowered expectations. Um, I I went into night two already having adjusted my expectations to the obvious um, and, and conditioned myself, I guess, or accepted the fact that the presentation within the ring was going to leave me a little flat. Just because, you know, I I came up with the analogy last night. It's like watching Dancing with the Stars with no music.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay.
3: You know, it's like watching, you know, a a great dance routine with no music. No matter how good the performance is, it just feels like it's odd. But I'd already adjusted my my thinking in that respect. So I wasn't as jarred as we were talking about earlier in this episode for part one. Uh, I wasn't as jarred by the the obvious um, as I was the first night, but my expectations were lower. And I think WWE by the end of the night over-delivered in both co-main events. I I think the Firefly Funhouse was such an out-of-the-box. I hate to use that term because it's so overused. It was such an out-of-the-box concept that was so perfectly executed. And it over delivered in that respect in such a big way. And obviously, you know, the NWO, you know, component to the Firefly Funhouse, I got a huge kick out of that for obvious reasons. But I also think the the Drew McIntyre Brock Lesnar match, while I wasn't surprised at the at the finish, I was impressed with the finish and how well it executed that was and what a great job Brock did for, for Drew. I, I was very satisfied by the end of part two in in, su- in such a significant way that it completely made me forget about any of the shortcomings the obvious challenges presented
0: well let's start at the beginning uh, of night two of course we had the kickoff show uh, rosenberg and court graves bringing it back for us and we had uh, one sort of pre-show match Liv morgan picking up a, uh, a win over natalia uh, natalia such a solid performer. Six minutes twenty five seconds here. You missed yesterday's
3: um, or, or, or night one's dark match or pre show match. Did you see this one? I did not. I did not. I, you know, I knew I was going to be sitting in front of my laptop for you know three or four hours at minimum and taking notes, and uh, I, I kicked it off right about ten minutes before the show started.
0: So let's start with uh, the obvious. They open with the exact same open as the night before. I don't know that I expected a different one, but I did see some feedback online that people thought that there would be a second one. But I guess we should mention, originally, this was all supposed to be one night, and that's probably not a package you could just throw together in a few days.
3: (laughs) No, or for a few bucks, for that matter, especially given the investment that they clearly made in that open. And I kind of felt the same way, you know, in a perfect world with an unlimited budget and a crystal ball that would allow you to foresee any potential changes that would occur. It would have been nice to have a second open. I think what I missed more than even a second open was another America, the beautiful kind of moment. Mm. I think we could have kicked off, you know, night two. I say we, they could have kicked off a night two with something that would have you know, s- set the stage so that night two was just as important as night one. But again, you know, 2020 20 hindsight, no crystal ball. Um, all, They did the best they could under the conditions that they were working with him, but I would have liked to have seen that. I, I really would have.
0: Out first it's Charlotte Flair and she's going to be challenging Rhea Ripley here. Rhea out second. Uh, I saw a lot of chatter online. I know that you don't monitor things like this, but there was a lot of chatter online that uh, Rhea Ripley's outfit looked remarkably similar to Cody Rhodes' outfit last year at the first AEW show, Double or Nothing, at least the color scheme and, and all that. But th- I thought these ladies had the best women's match uh, of the weekend. I don't know how anybody can, can argue differently. They get plenty of time here at 20 minutes, 30 seconds. Uh, I don't know what people expected out of Rhea Ripley. This may have been... Uh, one of her longer singles matches, but I thought this was remarkably well done. And of course people are going to say I'm a Homer because, uh, Charlotte won. I got to tell you, I I didn't know exactly what to expect there. I think on the one hand, Vince would probably want one of his main roster folks to beat an NXT person, but I think most fans assumed Maria Ripley is going to win and they're going to use this to quote unquote, make her, what'd you think of the match? And were you surprised by the results?
3: I, uh, I'll start at the end of that uh, I wasn't surprised by the results. I would have been mm, more than a little surprised had Rio ended up winning this match. Um, I thought the match was, I don't want to say phenomenal, but close to it given the circumstances. Um, and I'm going to quit making reference to it. Look, we all know th- there's no audience. We know that the challenges that c- created, We've covered that a lot in part one, so I'm not going to repeat myself uh, any more than I have to. But again, I think as I've said before, you know, in the analogy I've often used in talking about how important the audience is and what I've challenged people to just try to use their imagination and picture one of the greatest main event matches from WrestleMania that they, that they have and try to imagine that match in front of a, a small high school crowd or in this case, even less Um, here. I think we have a great example of, of a great match that we can see in front of no audience. And now you know I challenge people to try to imagine that same match in front of sixty or eighty thousand people. right. It would have been it would have been an entirely different feel and match, and I think it would have gotten even more praise than it's already getting. I thought Ria did a, a great job. She's still very young. In, in her career, I, I think she did a great job. It would be hard for any woman that hasn't been in the business for a long time and was very talented to keep up with Charlotte. Charlotte's an amazing performer in a, in a class all of her own. And I, what I was most impressed with, and this shows such maturity on Charlotte's part and in such a sense of knowing who she is and who her character is, She sold her ass off for Rhea. She made Rhea Ripley. She she spent more time trying to make Rhea look good than she spent even thinking about her own presentation. I thought she looked, I I, I thought she did. Charlotte did a a fantastic job.
0: And of course she gets the win at the end there uh, with her signature finishing maneuver, the figure eight, and it's a tap out from Rhea. Uh, I was shocked at the finish. I got to tell you, I really thought. With all the sort of hype and buzz around Rhea and knowing how strong uh, Hunter has been pushing that brand, it felt like, hey, that's, this is going to be her sort of WrestleMania moment. But it wasn't to be. Charlotte Flair picks up the win and she's now your NXT Women's Champion. Our next match, Bobby Lashley and Alistair Black. Uh, Lana, of course, in tow here with Bobby Lashley, sporting a new hair color. It's no more the, uh, the blonde Lana that we've got to know the last several years. And Alistair black with, uh, quite the entrance and, in uh, gear this match gets seven minutes, 20 seconds. I think anybody having to follow what Charlotte and Rhea just did is probably a tall ask, but I really enjoyed the finish here where Alana calls for the spear, Bobby sets up for it, walks right into Alistair's finish. One, two, three. What'd you think? <laughs>
3: Uh, I'll give you that in just a second, but before we leave uh, Charlotte and Rhea, one of the things that I really liked about this, going to the finish and you know you being surprised and, and given Hunter's investment, obviously in NXT and Rhea, um, the great thing about a match th- that was this high quality, it didn't matter whether Rhea won or lost. It really didn't. Right. At this stage of her career, it makes absolutely no difference at all. Having her beat Charlotte may have actually hurt Rhea mm. in the long term because I think it would have felt like – Even though people would, I think people would have reacted, you know, their their first reaction would have been, oh, wow, great. They surprised me. This is awesome. You know, Rhea's, you know, got the win over Charlotte. But over a period of time, you would have, I I think, risked the, the situation where the audience consciously or subconsciously felt that perhaps Rhea was getting pushed too soon, that she's not quite ready. Because she's not. She is not ready. Not yet. But this was a huge step forward for her. And I think the big advantage for Rhea here is that the match was so good yep. and Rhea established so much credibility, win, loser draw, that the story between Charlotte and Rhea can really continue. This is the beginning of Rhea's career, uh, clearly. And this could be, I don't know where they're going creatively, don't want to know, don't need to know, none of my freaking business. But as a fan, I think this is a, a, a jumping-off point for Rhea and, and a hell of a good one at that. So going back to or going to the Lashley-Allister match, I was really looking forward to this one for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, when I was in WWE for last summer and early fall, it was apparent to me how high certain individuals were. I'm not going to name them. Um, certain individuals within the company were on influential individuals on Alister Black and the potential um, that they saw in him. So I was really curious as to how they were going to use WrestleMania as a, a launch pad, if you will, for the next phase of Alistair's career. Um, I, I like the match. I'm, I'm, I wasn't a big fan of, the, of Alistair's <clears throat> gimmick. I think it's too much for that character. He's he is a walking character. He he his character he, he carries it with him, and you see him in a suit and tie, and he has an Alistair has an aura about him. I don't think Alistair is the type of character that needs to go quite so far with quite with such an animated type of gimmick. But that again, that's my taste. I, I like a more reality based character that's a little bit more relatable beyond that, I thought the match was was great Bobby Lashley really impressed me. I mean I was already impressed with Alistair he's a class guy got to know him a little bit spent some time with him when I was in WWE and a great performer. Bobby, I've known for a long time Bobby's been around for a long time yeah, but I think Bobby may have looked better at least to me and I, I admittedly I haven't been following a lot of Bobby's matches. I just haven't. But I was so impressed with Bobby, uh, his fluidity. He's always been very fluid. He's an amazing athlete in his own right in so many different ways, obviously. But his timing and his selling, uh, his pace, which is, I guess, timing in a way, in a different way, I, I just thought Bobby did a phenomenal job. Really, really impressed me.
0: Yeah, I tweeted yesterday, if you were to ask someone what they thought a professional wrestler looked like, they would probably wind up drawing something that looked like Bobby
3: Lashley. You know, I thought myself, and I've known Bobby for a long time. I've worked with him in WWE and worked with him in TNA. Um, he, he, class guy, you know, humble, quiet, um, you know, never gone out and had a cocktail with him or sat down and broke bread with him. So I don't know him on a real intimate level uh, or personal level. But uh, what I know of him, he's just a super classy guy. And, uh, I was thinking to myself, man, when this guy walks, you know, onto a plane or walks through an airport, he's one of those people, you know, because of his physique and he's a great looking guy and he carries himself so well, he's one of those people that, you know, you're going to, you're going to know who he is, whether you know who he is or not, you're going to, you're going to stop and go, Oh, who is that guy? You know, I should say, you're going to notice him whether you're a wrestling fan or not. was, the point I was trying to make, he was just such a phenomenal specimen.
0: The next match is uh, a lot of story, and I'm sure you'll agree that this for an undercard match at WrestleMania, this is sort of a classic story, uh, Otis and Dolph Ziggler, of course, Mandy Rose, somewhere in the middle here. Uh, Dolph Ziggler has Sonya Deville as her second or his second, rather. I don't know that everybody who listens to this knows that Otis, you know, while he is a, a phenomenal entertainer and you know does a great job with the comedy aspect of his character in a former life he was a legit badass that I don't think maybe everybody knows but go look him up uh, Greco-roman wrestling champion in a major way uh, Junior Pan Am games bronze medals I mean big time stuff and he's in there with another legit badass Dolph Ziegler could tie you up into a pretzel a big- time amateur wrestler and they told a story. And it was one of the storylines and I don't know if you've kept up with it or not, but fans online were really into. And uh, in the end, of course, Otis gets the win and gets the girl. And it was a pretty cool little undercard WrestleMania moment. I dug it. what do you think?
3: I did too. And I have so much respect for both. You know, I've talked about Dolph a lot, you know, prior to, you know, going to, to work for WWE this past year and, you know, for, you know, a couple years, actually. Uh, I've been talking about Dolph Ziggler and how I think he is one of the more—I uh, hate to use the term—underrated, underutilized, whatever. But um, he has so much potential. He really, really does. I still believe we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg in terms of Dolph Ziggler's potential. I think he's got an amazing range. He can go from being a, a comedic, you know, performer, much like Kurt Angle, had the ability to to shift on the fly, you know, on on a Sunday he could be the 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 baddest man on the planet. Kurt Angle, that is, Kurt could be the baddest man on the planet and 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 deliver you know a match that was a four star match that was so credible or five star match, whatever whatever you're however you're rating it. And then on Monday he could be one of the most funny and entertaining comedic characters you could hope for on your roster. I think Dolph has that same potential. We see more of the lighthearted Dolph, kind of the goofy Dolph that character um and that's obviously by design but i do believe he's got that that other gear that he could shift into but i think this presentation was great i think this storyline this match the fact that so many people were into it and found it entertaining and let's face it it's a basic storyline it's a love interest storyline it's it's all it is and it it's so simple, but it was entertaining. It was executed well. It didn't feel like something we'd seen a million times before, even though we probably have in one way, shape, or form. But it felt fresh, and it felt new, and that was largely due to the talent, first of all, uh, of everyone involved, and, and also the way it was produced. I thought it was really, really done well, and I found it to be very, very entertaining.
0: I dug it, too. The next match is going to be uh, maybe the second most polarizing thing on the night. It's Edge and Randy Orton in the second longest WrestleMania match in history, I believe that's accurate. Uh, of course, the longest one was the WrestleMania 12 main event, the Iron Man match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels that went just over an hour. Here, these guys spend 36 minutes and 35 seconds trying to make the most of a very unique situation. It's a Last Man Standing match. They're at the PC. So they're not brawling through the crowd and fans. Instead, they found themselves brawling all over the place including backstage. Uh the common criticism I think of this match today has been that it was too long and that, you know, with the benefit of the show being pre-recorded, they could have improved upon that. What do you think, Eric? Was it too long? Should it have been edited down? What do you think of the match?
3: I, you know, I, I told you, you know, on part one, the match that I was most looking forward to for night two was Edge and Randy Orton. And that's simply because I think Randy is one of the best if not one of the top two performers of the last decade, almost well, decade and a half at least. Fifteen years. He is so good. He's so fluid. He's so believable. His his pacing, his timing, everything that Randy does, in my opinion, is almost perfect. I I just never see Randy make a mistake or come up short. He just always, always delivers. Uh, And uh, and and Edge, I, I knew how much you know emotion and passion and talent, physical talent. Edge was going to bring to the table. So I was really, really looking forward to this one, possibly too much. So I may have allowed myself to raise my own expectations to a, a level that probably wasn't realistic given the circumstances. So that was one factor for me. The other factor is it just did go on too long. It, it was, it, it got repetitive. Um, it, 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 just, you know, great 2020 hindsight, you know, after the fact, could it have been shorter? Sure. Should it have been shorter? Probably. Would I have liked it more had it been shorter? I think I probably would because I did find myself, you know, checking my emails and, you know, looking over my shoulder to see what the headlines were, you know, uh, on the news. I found myself distracted throughout this match because it probably did go on a little bit too long.
0: What did you think of the uh the commentary? We should mention that. Uh, for this particular match, because it was a, a raw match, we had Tom Phillips and Byron Saxton on the call, and there was a lot of criticism online saying that they were calling it like it was a, a PGA golf event with the sort of lowered hushed tones. what do you think of the commentary?
3: Yeah, I'm not going to criticize in any way, the commentary, cause I, I think is, is tough of a job. Look, I've never been a wrestler. I, I have performed in the ring. I've been a part of physical action in the ring but i've never had to go out for 6 8 10 12 15 20 36 minutes and and try to have you know a highly entertaining emotional physical match in front of no audience i've never done that i've played to really small audiences i've been in arenas and and you know had to try to be in character and tell a story and create emotion in front of, you know, less than 75 people. And that's a very lonely feeling. And as tough as it is on the talent, um, I can only imagine again, I've never really done it, but I can, I've done enough of it where I can, I can, I can imagine what it's like probably pretty closely, but I have, you know, been in that color and play by play position, primarily play by play. And to be in a play-by-play environment with absolutely no crowd um, because the announcers, you know, as much as the talents, and I think in some ways even more so, maybe not in today's WWE because so much of it is produced for them, uh, you know, either while it's going on live or, or after the fact, but to to call a match like this with no crowd, no ambient Sound or emotion to react to, to play off of, to to reinforce. I think is just as challenging in many respects as what the talent in the ring was faced with. So I am not going to criticize at all. Um, however, I will say that I found that fact the the, the, the understated or under uh, under del- not under-delivered. the less than energized, you know, color and play by play. I found that in itself to be a little distracting in a weird way. It's kind of like, you know, knowing the audio's on in your television, but not being able to hear anything. It just kind of aggravates you a little bit.
0: To me, it was like, if you watch an internet video and uh, maybe it wasn't uploaded the correct way and the audio doesn't match like when someone's mouth is moving, but it's not in perfect sync. The commentary yesterday during that match in particular just didn't feel like it was in sync with the match. But to your point, that's really hard to do with no crowd and no fans, no other noise. It's a, you know, especially when you've got 36 minutes worth, uh, how do you get to the. The screaming, stone cold, stone cold, stone cold,
3: for thirty six. No, and and I and I don't think that would have worked either, right? Because then that because I mean that's the challenge of something like this. You know, if you were to go over the top, and you as as play by play in color, you 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 try too hard, you push too hard. Uh, given the fact that there's no audience, that becomes aggravating. So to find that very very fine line where you're supporting the action enough and as play by play in color you're telling a story to help support the action. Actually you're painting a picture that might not be quite as obvious to the viewer based on what they're seeing it you know taking place on their screen. Um, that's an art in and of itself. And I think they had to find that that very, very fine line of not pushing it too hard, but pushing it enough, and that's particularly hard to do in a 36-minute match. Where, I mean, look, I, I can't put over Randy and Edge enough uh, as athletes and performers and as professionals. But it was redundant. You know, a lot of what we saw, especially, you know, in the backstage areas, was very repetitious. And how do you get excited in a new and fresh way about the same thing that you've? kind of been watching for 20 or 25 minutes uh it's it's tough i and here's and this is a little bit off track um but it's a point that i think can be applied across both night one and night two uh one of the takeaways that i've had over this weekend and i i really i got up super early this morning uh conrad because you and i like doing these things early in the morning when I'm, we're both fresh i'll speak for myself when i'm fresh um there's a couple of takeaways I think that we can learn from this experience and the unfortunate you know circumstances involved in it. One is, and I talked about this in part one quite a bit, I think it was really evident to me at least, when it comes to the talent in the ring, the level of experience of some of the talent, you know, Daniel Bryan, you know, f- for example, uh, in his match the night before, um a couple of the others who were who were who really good storytellers in the ring versus the less experienced talent that we saw a lot of this weekend and when i say less experienced look they're all on wrestlemania they're all on the biggest stage in the world right they've all achieved an amazing level of of success and professionalism and they excel at what they do. However, some of them are just more experienced at it than others, and have had a chance to work in front of much different crowds in a different environments and with different talent, you know, than than some of the younger talent have. Um, guys like John Cena learned from Triple H, and in The Rock, and Ric Flair, and. Hulk Hogan and and many others, maybe not directly, but indirectly, they had a chance, you know, Undertaker, they've had a chance to work with a lot of very seasoned talent and you learn, even though you you may have been a John Cena in 2005, but you're learning or John Cena in 2010, you're still learning. John Cena in 2015 was still learning and perfecting that craft. And he he was able to do so with, with other very seasoned professionals uh, and guys at the top of their game. Um, Whereas a lot of the younger talent is working with other younger talent that some of whom haven't had that same opportunity to work with, you know, much more seasoned veterans. So I think for me, at least I saw a distinct difference for me. It was probably subtle to a lot of viewers. But there were certain talent that were just going out there and they were going through their moveset. Their match was laid out. They knew exactly what it was. And they were going to have the same match in front of an empty crowd that they would have in front of a live crowd. Whereas there were other talent uh, on on both nights that went out there and had a match that really told a story. And it it didn't feel as choreographed. It didn't feel as pre-produced they weren't overreacting or trying to react to a crowd that wasn't there. I saw a lot of that last night with some of the young talent. Well, you know, I'm not going to beat it to death because I covered it a lot, you know, in part one, but there were still a lot of talents on this card that were still going out there and having the same match with the same reactions, with the same mannerisms, you know, with the same little beats and moments trying to, you know, create something exciting in front of no crowd that they would have in front of a crowd in it. That, to me was really evident so i think one of the takeaways hopefully will be story 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 i beat that drum to death every opportunity i get because i think that's in large part what's missing in and, and not that there's anything wrong with today's product i, I love the aew product i love the wwe product it's, i'm not criticizing it okay but when people say, well, why isn't, you know, why isn't the business as hot as it was, you know, in the late 90s? Why aren't there, you know, eight or 10 million people watching on a Monday night or Friday night or a Wednesday night for that matter? Like they were, you know, during the Monday night war. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Not all of it has to do with the product itself. But I think one of the reasons are that, or one of the reasons is that the the emphasis on story, and I'm not just talking about you know the backstage promos and the setup, but the the quality of story and the discipline of storytelling and the lack thereof was really apparent here in some of the matches that we saw because some of the talent just isn't as experienced in telling a story inside of the ring as others are, and it, that becomes to me glaringly obvious in a situation like this. So I'm hoping. Because of, for example, you know, the Dotus, or Dotus, <laughs> the Otis Dolph Ziggler storyline that you referenced and how, you know, fans were in it. That was a very basic story. You don't, you don't have to be freaking Steven Spielberg or Spike Lee to come up with it, right? It was basic stuff, but it works because fans engage in it. It, it, it allows them to drop their guard and, and get engaged with the story as well as the physical component of what's being presented. And I think the more of that we see, the better the product will be overall. You know, the other takeaway I, I think is for me, at least again, this is my perspective. I'm going to quit saying that, but when I came, c- came to color and play by play, you know, they were switching out the announced teams, which I get, I understand fully support. It makes it feel fresh. You don't get tired of hearing the same people, you know, for two or three hours at a time, which is, you know, a, a, a challenge sometimes, no matter how good they are. Um, I really noticed a difference, and I'm not criticizing or necessarily putting anybody over here. But for me and my taste, the combination of Michael Cole and JBL worked really, really well. Yeah, Michael Cole is a great play-by-play guy. J- JBL is able to because he is who he is, and he's done what he's done. He's been there. He's he can he can give you. He can paint a picture. John can, John Layfield can paint a picture as a color commentator about what's going through the mind of the, you know the the, the 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 wrestlers in the ring. He can create a a perspective and make you think about or give you something to react to in a way that non-wrestler color analysts can't. And no matter how good they are, they can't because they've never done it. They can't. They they can they could try and they can do a great job, and they can surmise what you know somebody might be thinking. But when you hear a, a guy a guy like JBL doing color and bringing you into the head of you know one of the wrestlers that you're seeing in the ring or both, that that raises the level of storytelling in, in a significant way to me, as opposed to just telling me what I'm already seeing. I know what I'm seeing. You know, I'm fortunate to have sight. I'm grateful. I've got ears. I can hear. I know what's going on in the ring. If you're a play-by-player, a color analyst, tell me something I don't know. Tell me an aspect of the story, however significant or insignificant it may be, that may feel like something I should think about or go, wow, that's right. I never thought of that. Or, wow, that probably is what this person is thinking at this moment. That's a dimension to 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 play-by-play and color that I think is sorely lacking. To me, it was evident here. Um, and I, I thought, for the most part, uh, color and play-by-play by everyone was was very good under the circumstances. But to me, Cole and Layfield really, Layfield really stood out.
0: Let's talk about edge for a minute. You know, he, uh, had to abruptly retire gosh, years ago. Now at this point, didn't get to sort of leave on his terms, worked really hard to get cleared again, got himself in phenomenal shape. Uh, allegedly had discussions with both WWE and AEW. And of course, in the end, he came home to WWE probably for a handsome sum, but after all this time of, of sort of longing to sort of Hey man, I wish I could do it one more time. I, I really want to go out my way. And now, have the ability to do that. And the coronavirus sort of take you out of that loaded stadium and put you into essentially a warehouse here. This has to be a bit of a disappointment for Edge.
3: You know, I, I think it is. I, I think it probably scratched half his itch. Um, you know how it is when you walk around you got that itch right in the middle of your back and you can't really get to it. So you go around and you rub up against the refrigerator, the back of your car, whatever it is. You ah, I think I got it. And then, you know, a minute later, it's back. Can't quite get to it. Can't quite, you know, satisfy that, that itch and scratch it where you need to. I'm sure – I'm not sure. I don't know Edge well enough, Adam Copeland well enough to know what he's really feeling or thinking. I can only put myself in his shoes. I, I think – and this is another thought that occurred to me. I didn't put it out of my notes, but so much respect for all of the talent because I can't imagine as a performer who's been out there in front of 60,000 people or whatever, 50,000 people and gotten that reaction and that just that rush that you can only get playing in front of a live audience. Um, to go out there and work so hard and be so excited about being a part of WrestleMania months and months ago. And finally, you know, for in Edge's case, you know, overcoming all of the obstacles. You know, just the fact that he was off for 10 years and coming back at such a high level. That in and of itself is a major obstacle. Now, add a neck injury in on top of that. Add the fact that he's got a pretty successful acting career in on top of that. You know, there's so many factors that that made edges come back such an interesting move to me and i can only imagine if i were edge not only am i looking forward to getting back in the ring that's half of it and and all of the things that lead up to it you know building up the story and building up the anticipation on raw or smackdown or whatever all of that is very very fulfilling and exciting but then to go out and when that moment finally comes that you've been thinking about if you're edge for 10 years and you finally get that opportunity and you find out a week or two weeks or whatever it was before that, yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah, but you're not going to be in front of a live crowd and you're not going to get that, that feedback. You're not going to get that a, adrenaline rush. You're not going to get that emotional connection to 60, 70, 80,000 people. That, that, that would be hard. And every, every person that performed at WrestleMania had to feel that. Had to have that, oh, man, but only if, oh, this was my moment. How many people were on WrestleMania? I don't know the answer to this. is a rhetorical question. But how many people were a part of WrestleMania this weekend that have never been part of a WrestleMania before? Right. And now they finally get that their dream is coming true, but they're not getting the best part of it. It's just you know I I get it I, I I empathize I and I have so much respect for everyone and hope that every single person gets another crack at Wrestlemania I know that's probably not you know possible or, or it probably won't happen but man I'd love to see every single person get another shot at WrestleMania just so they they, they get the other half of what they didn't get
0: We should at least address the controversy. Lots of people yesterday were shocked when Randy Orton and Edge opted to use uh, a piece of weight equipment to choke Edge. A lot of people immediately thought of, especially, I guess, on the heels of the Chris Benoit story airing on Vice, the way Chris took his life. And I was, I thought of it as soon as I saw it, but didn't think to mention it to anybody and thought, man, how fucked up am I that that's what I thought of? And then the next time I was on Twitter, a lot of people were thinking the exact same thing. Obviously, a misstep, not something I think Randy or Edge would have ever intentionally done. It was just, hey, let's look around and what can we use here? Uh, did you have any sort of Benoit flashback when you saw that moment in the match?
3: Not until this morning when I saw some of that feedback, and I, I get it. I I do. I don't want to minimize it or suggest that people who are reacting that way shouldn't react that way. Look, you feel the way you feel. You think the way that you think. I do. However, think there's a little bit of a, you know, self-righteous indignation that lives on social media. People are looking for certain opportunities to pick things apart and stand on a little bit of a social justice warrior platform. Um, I, 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 it didn't occur to me while I was watching it let's just put it leave it at that um, but I you know I did see a lot of it this morning and I I guess I don't agree with it I, I yes yes it was horrible what happened with Chris and Nancy that goes without saying we don't need to keep beating that but um, to be so critical because of something that happened on Vice TV that was covering an incident that happened 10 or 15 years ago whatever it was. Ah, Let it go Well
0: let's talk about the tag match Uh, This is going to be a tall ask The Street Profits Are going to be in there with Angel Garza And Austin Theory It's a tag team match for the Raw Tag Team Titles Of course I say it's a tall ask Because you're following a match that just went 36-35 With a crazy finish I mean they're on top of stuff They're through stuff They're over and under and all about And now we're going to have a more traditional style match. I thought, uh, angel Garza became a star here. This was a breakout night for him. I thought street profits pick up the win. six minutes, 20 seconds. What'd you think?
3: Another match I was really looking forward to because I know how high certain people were in WWE on the street profits when they were emerging on Monday night, raw and the buildup to them. Um, Oh, how do I feel? How did I feel about it? I didn't make a lot of notes. I'm looking at my notes now. I didn't really make a lot of notes that are fresh, a little bit redundant again, street profits, new tag team, new talent, not a lot of experience. Once again, came out with an entrance that was so similar to what they would do, acknowledging an audience that wasn't there playing to an audience that wasn't there. That wasn't necessarily their fault. I think agents, producers, um, could have really uh, helped with that for, and for whatever reason, didn't. Uh, They they took me out of the moment as a result. The in ring for the street profits I thought was solid. Nothing blew me away on, on their part. Uh, It was just an, it was a decent, decent tag match. Uh, I'm not sure it was a WrestleMania match in my humble, opinion that's not worth much anymore um i agree with you garza broke out really broke out uh theory had a couple moments By the where way, th- he looked theory's pretty 22. good
0: too i just want to mention Theory's only 22 years old so we- we've got a ton of time i mean you can only imagine you know if he's on wrestlemania at 22 what could his career look like in 10 years i mean my goodness 22
3: yep they, they, they both Garza and Theory impressed me quite a bit. So I, I thought the match was solid. Uh, it didn't get me overly excited. I didn't have any moments where I saw, oh, oh, my gosh, this is going to be, you know, these guys are going to have a huge future. As, as great as Garza did, I, I think he really established himself. Theory, I think, you know, much like Dolph, we're, we're seeing the tip of the iceberg. and Time will only tell how big of an iceberg is below the surface. Uh, but the match was just okay for me. It was, yeah, it was just okay.
0: Next up. We've got, uh, the fatal five-way elimination match for the WWE women's SmackDown championship. We've got Tamina, Sasha Banks, Naomi, Lacey Evans, and Bailey. Uh, they get plenty of time here at 19 minutes and 20 seconds. It's an elimination match, which, uh, I guess is a different wrinkle than what we normally see. I dug this one way more than I thought I would, I guess, I came in with lowered expectations for whatever reason, but I liked the little twist at the end with Sasha and Bailey. And I thought, I thought this was well executed. What'd you think?
3: I actually, uh, no offense to any of the participants involved, but this is, you know, how I feel about gimmick matches and, you know, matches where there's not really, you know, stakes and personal issues and backstory and all that. So I took this opportunity when this match was announced to head downstairs and grab a bite to eat real quick. I thought, okay, this will probably go 10, 12, 14 minutes. I'm going to go down and grab a sandwich, come back up, <coughs> and finish watching WrestleMania. I went down, made a sandwich, took my dog out, <clears throat> talked to my wife and my daughter, and came back up. And the match was still going on. <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, I'll I'll check it out. And I came in when it came down to um, Bailey and Lacey. Everybody else had been eliminated by that point. At that point, I really enjoyed it. I because I just when there's too much going on in a match, and I don't really know who the heels are, I, I'm, and I I do and I don't, uh, but I'm not seeing who the heels and who the babyfaces are. I'm not seeing a story playing out. All I'm seeing is great action. No matter how great it is, it just doesn't capture my imagination. And Which is why it had nothing to do with whether I liked the talent involved, didn't like the talent involved, or anything like that. I just knew this style of match was going to be lacking in the storytelling component. It was going to be great action, but probably lacking in storytelling. That was the way I looked at it, and which is why I went down to grab a sandwich. But when I came back up, I, the story that I saw being presented between Bailey and Lacey, the physical story – i thought was really really good you know the note that i made to myself while i don't follow a ton of bailey matches i you know have seen her work quite a bit worked with her quite a bit um i thought she may have looked better than than any time that i've seen her in the last year i thought she bailey did a, a phenomenal job as did Lacey. great selling great timing great emotion um, I thought the portion of that match that I saw, the portion that was Bailey and Lacey, I thought was as good as anything that I saw um, throughout the night in terms of storytelling and, and action and emotion. I, I believed it. I believed that they were really competing in there. I believed that they were really invested the way they presented it. Uh, it really captured my imagination. I thought Bailey looked great, as did Lacey. Not taking anything away from anybody else. I love the finish. I thought it was interesting. Good storytelling at the end. Sets up a lot of potential storytelling in the future. Um, so I, I as much as I wasn't that interested in it when it was announced, I became very interested in it in the third act.
0: I can't believe we've talked about part two or night two so much, and we've yet to mention that Rob Gronkowski is now your WWE twenty four seven champion. I I, I kind of called this at my house on night one. I'm like, well, he's going to be 24 seven champion, but I didn't think he would keep it through the end of WrestleMania. Uh, I don't think we're giving a spoiler that raw tonight has already been taped and put in the can. So maybe we'll see a payoff for that. But I thought, you know, it's, it's your only way to really try to get some mainstream clicks and headlines and sort of discussions like, Hey, Rob Gronkowski is a WWE champion. what do you think?
3: Eh. Just, eh, I, the whole weekend, I, I kind of felt like if I was Rob Gronkowski, I would probably be a little disappointed. And, and I don't know him, so he may be thrilled to death. He, I mean, clearly you guys achieved a little bit in his life. Sure. So maybe he's just out there having a blast in a, in a, that was all he was really interested in is having a bunch of fun. I'm sure WrestleMania for him, you know, was off the charts because he did have a blast. You could tell it was, it was real. He was having fun. But to me, to have a guy like Rob Gronkowski and all of his credibility and who he is and the amount of media exposure he's received over the last couple of years and to put him out there in such a comedic way, yeah, I think makes it a little bit more difficult for me at least to take Rob very seriously going forward. And maybe there's no plans for Rob going forward. I don't know. I have no idea. And, and, and if that's the case and there's no plans for him, then this was perfect because it was highly entertaining for a lot of people. I think if there's a plan for Rob going forward, um, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And I think this first impression was just a little too comedic for my taste.
0: Okay. We need to let you guys in on a secret right now. Eric and I, as you know, are dog lovers, and I think we've cracked the code, man. Of course, we're talking about our friends over at solid gold. Let me ask you though, did you know that up to 80% of the immune system is influenced by the gut or that supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health enables pets to better fight environmental allergies? Solid gold is passionate about gut health because a healthy digestive system positively impacts the immune system and overall wellness of pets. Solid gold was the first holistic pet food company in America started way back in 1974 by a trailblazer named Sissy McGill. You see, she was a pioneer who disrupted a male dominated industry and created a natural pet food before it was cool. Sissy was inspired by European pet food and the fact that European great Danes outlived their American counterparts. And her first recipe has now provided high-quality nutrition, and digestive health for more than 20 generations of dogs. Solid Gold's nutritional platform is inspired by their founding belief that high-quality food is the best way to impact our pets' mind, body, and spirit. For over 45 years, Solid Gold has revolutionized the holistic pet food category, and they have a recipe for any dog or cat's dietary needs, including healthy whole grain and grain-free options, wet food, supplements like sea meal, and of course 100% human grade bone broth for dogs which your dog is going to go nuts for solid gold foods are different because they cleanse the digestive system with the whole superfoods they balance with living probiotics and they fuel with omega 3 and 6 fatty acids supporting gut health and nourishing your pet inside and out right now to see the solid gold deal of the week go to solidgoldpet.com/83weeks one more time. That's solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks to see the deal of the week. I'm telling you, you've got to go right now. Remember this it's solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks. Eric's dog loves it. My dogs love it and yours will too. And man, they deserve it. Check it out solidgoldpet.com forward slash 83 weeks. I don't think there's any chance we see him doing more stuff. Just my opinion as a football fan. Yeah. Let's talk about the next match. This is uh, maybe the biggest, most polarizing thing all weekend. And I think a lot of people sort of had this one and the boneyard match circled heading into it thinking, well, with the benefit of being able to tape the show, this could be pretty cool. And I think we got a taste of that on SmackDown, the the go home show on the way to this WrestleMania. John Cena does an interview mid ring to close the show. And he's talking about how he's not scared of Bray Wyatt, a.k.a. The Fiend, and the puppets appear at ringside. And I have to admit, I thought, man, I'd almost be embarrassed if my dad came in right now and saw me watching a puppet show
2: (laughs) and wrestling.
0: This would be weird. But then when we see the Fiend on the crow's nest or whatever they call that platform, and you get such a great shot of not only the mask, but his contact lenses, it just comes through the screen and then magically Bray Wyatt, not as the fiend appears right over John's shoulder whispering. Amen. And I thought, okay, this is going to be fucking cool. They're going to have the benefit of, you know, recording this thing. And oh my gosh, did they put together something special? The firefly Funhouse match, uh, Brian Alvarez in particular, one of your favorites. He absolutely fucking hated this and shit all over it uh but i think he put a poll up and said did you like it and when i last saw the results more than 80 percent enjoyed the match i can only speak for myself i thought it was wonderfully done uh and when they played the old saturday night's main event intro i was a 10 year old again i was instantly transported into it i love the inclusion of the smackdown fist and john cena in his old look but then when i saw they're doing an eric bischoff cosplay thing with bray i lost my fucking mind this was such a fun uh, moment this was such a fun match and i liked the sort of inside uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek commentary that we got from the vince mcmahon puppet where he said it's such good shit which is something that came out. You may not even realize this when John Moxley was interviewed by Chris Jericho right after he debuted for AEW, he was talking about a piece of creative that he did not like at all that he thought was kind of lame, but Vince would always say it's such good shit. And that's really the first time it became something wrestling fans were familiar with. And I don't know a single wrestling fan who didn't laugh when, when they heard the Vince puppet say, this is such good shit. I thought it was a masterpiece. I can't wait to get your insight. And I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall with you and Laurie when they did Eric Bischoff tribute band stuff.
3: Yeah. One of the things that we were talking about, I was talking about was the takeaway from this weekend. You know what, how will the business, what will we learn? You know, what can we take positive from this experience? And obviously to me, storytelling is key. I think, you know, learning especially if you know if the business if the if the presentation of the business is going to evolve as a result of the success and popularity and uh, and reaction to the boneyard match as well as the firefly funhouse these are two very unique ways of storytelling very very unique and if we're going to see um more of that, um, I, I, I really have a lot of hopes for the industry because I think wrestling needs something different. I've been saying that now for five or 10 years. It's same old, it's the same formula. It's the same presentation. I don't care who you are, what the name of your company is, what you're really not doing anything different than anybody else for the most part. And it's just different levels of it, you know, different levels of production, different levels of capabilities in the ring and so forth. But it's essentially the same thing. And at WrestleMania this past weekend, we saw that the Boneyard match was such an, again, I hate to use the term out of the box. Somebody send me an alternative and I'll use it. But that, was so. In fact, I sent an email to somebody. I'm not going to name this morning. It wasn't Bruce. Um, it wasn't Vince. But um, just putting them over because the risk that they took. They meaning WWE. They took to present the boneyard match as well as the fire funhouse was such a big risk. Because the wrestling audience is what they are. They don't really, you know, they like change, they like innovation, but they really don't. You know, you've got, it's a very, very fine line as to what the wrestling audience will tolerate um, based on their expectations. And had either one of these, uh, either the Boneyard Match or the Firefly Funhouse been produced with any flaws, any flaws whatsoever then the 80% of the people that were putting it over on Alvarez's um, poll would have been burying it. But it was so well produced. And it just took storytelling and the presentation of their characters to such a higher level. I mean, I'm I'm getting jacked up just thinking about it. I love the Boneyard match for a lot of reasons. It was a little jarring when it first started out because it was just different. You know, we talked about it, you know, part one. You know, if all of a sudden I had to put my sock on every morning on the opposite foot that I normally do, I'd be like aggravated for six weeks until I got used to it. And the risk that they took, they meaning WWE, with a bone match at a Firefly Funhouse were so enormous, particularly given that it was in WrestleMania. I mean, the biggest event of the year, the Super Bowl. And they decided, let's do something completely different than has ever been done before at, at, at that level. I thought it was fantastic. I thought the Firefly Funhouse, the the way Bray, you know, cause that's his character, right? It wasn't just a cool match or presentation of a match for the sake of having a cool presentation of a match. It was a cool presentation of a match that was very organic to the character of Bray Wyatt. He was getting into Cena's head, And they affected that story in such a phenomenal way. I thought it was so compelling. And I'm, you know, I'm going to (laughs) be straight up with you, Conrad. When they started introducing the NWO stuff, I, I, like, time stopped for me. It was such a bizarre, (laughs) it was was like I was in this suspended state of, you know, animation. I was, like, frozen in time for a moment. It was almost an out-of-body kind of, -of out-of-my-head kind of experience. And I, I just got such a big kick out of it, not because of my ego, not because, oh, good. I fucking hate seeing myself from 20 years ago. <laughs> Fuck, it reminds me of how old and fat and tired I've become. <laughs> so, you know, when I see myself from 20 years ago, oh, God, do I have to keep showing that shit? I don't look like that anymore. I don't act like that anymore. But it, So it wasn't that. It was the way it was all put together and become such a part of the story and how probably real certain aspects of it were. I mean, it was kind of an inside shoot, but it was done in such a creative and effective way, not just creative for the sake of being creative. We've all seen that before. I've done that before and it doesn't work if you're just being creative for the sake of being creative, but when you can be creative and really drive a story or take a story or a character to the very next level, in this case, probably four or five of those next levels up, I was just blown away. I mean, I think, again, going back to my takeaway kind of thing, um, I, I think the Firefly, Firefly Funhouse and the Boneyard Match probably are the catalyst for the next evolution of storytelling and wrestling. We're not going to see it all the time. Right. You can't. Right. I mean, that was very expensive, time-consuming stuff to produce. I can assure you of that. It took a ton of production to present that in the, the way that it was in such a high, at such a high level. And as a result of the time and the expense, you're not going to see it every week. I don't want to see it every week. But if I can see it once a month or once every couple months or whatever, as a way to elevate story and characters, I think the business, as a result of this past WrestleMania and the challenges that it created, I think this, will, this WrestleMania may have probably as much of a more of an impact on the business, at least I hope, on the business going forward than perhaps any WrestleMania in a long, long time.
0: I really hope so, because I liked it. I know a lot of, uh, a lot of folks online said, oh, well, this is just like Lucha underground, but I don't think a lot of, I don't think enough folks saw Lucha underground. Clearly they didn't, or we'd still be talking about it pretty regularly, but maybe they were ahead of time. You know, maybe they were ahead of the curve, but I think these matches were received. you know, Yeah. Don't get me wrong. They've both got their critics, but everything in wrestling does. I thought this was a home run. I, I thought it was uh entertaining and showcased a lot of, you know, what's possible. And, and they really made the best of a bad situation. I do want to mention there's been a lot of theories after night one that maybe the, uh, the Undertaker match had a lot of NXT sort of Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Jeremy Borash style. And maybe the Firefly Funhouse match had more Bruce Pritchard influence. If you had to guess, would you say that sounds about right? i I mean me you and i have not asked anybody i mean that's not our style to say hey what are you working on today but just looking at the way it's put together and knowing what we've seen in tna with all the matt hardy stuff and delete delete and all that with borash i think most fans agree that night one looks sort of borash-esque and we know that bruce has a big affection and affinity for both john cena and bray wyatt so i think a lot of people are going to look to him for the uh the funhouse man
3: no I, I i only chuckled for a moment because i have i i can make a pretty good guess as to how that all came about so i clearly bruce clearly bray and i would bet a lot of john cena went into that sure Because look, John's—you know—John is now he's transitioned from being, you know, one of the top superstars in WWE history to being a legitimate, bona fide box office film star. Right. And and that's another component to this, which is also, you know, an indirect, you know, nod to Bray because Bray delivered just as well as John did. Gray is a phenomenal performer. He is beyond just being a great, you know, WWE superstar. He's, he is a, he's an amazing performer. He's an actor. He really is. Um, whether he's trying to be, wants to be trained to be whatever he is, he becomes that character in, in a way that very few others could pull off. If, if anybody for that matter. Um, and, and, Again, it was just the level of execution. It wasn't the idea; the idea was cool. The execution of the idea is what put it over the top, and it did. You know, it did have Bruce's fingerprints all over it. I'm, uh, I'm get. You know, John is John. He would have, by default, would have had a ton of input into that. And Bray knows that character and, and knows that psychology better than anybody on the planet. So I'm sure it was a trifecta of a lot of great ideas. But hats off to whoever was involved. And I, and I do want to say this. I've, I know I reference it from time to time, probably more than people care to hear. But the production, the television production at WWE is second to no one, to no one. In fact, no one's even freaking close. And Kevin Dunn, his entire team, deserve as much credit as anybody or whoever was involved. I don't even know who was involved in putting it all together. Right. But whoever it was... God damn hats off to you.
0: Okay. Eric, we need to remind everybody that right now is the time to keep your finances in mind There's so much uncertainty in the world right now, but there is one certainty and that's, we've still got bills and you're probably paying interest on some of those. And now is the best time ever to keep more of your own money. If you've got credit card debt, I encourage you to pay that down to zero, but do not close your cards. Now, normally. I would tell you, no, get rid of your credit card debt. It's the worst things are different. Now you need to pay your balance down to zero. And then if you can get your credit card provider to up your limit a little bit, it sure would be nice just to have a little extra cushion just in case, if you don't have three to six months of your personal bills set aside, you're probably feeling extra stress right now. Now is the right time to endeavor to start saving that money. Here's the problem if you wait until you have some employment issues, you can't go borrow money. If you go down to the bank and you say, Hey, I'd like to borrow $5,000. Cool. Let me see your two most recent pay stubs. Well, I'm laid off. They're not going to loan you the money. You've got to have the ability to repay. That's sort of the cosmic joke of the lending business. The people who need help the most, you can't help because they're out of work. If you still have your job, but you also have credit card debt, You need to get rid of it as fast as you can, but don't close the cards. You also need to build yourself up a personal reserve. I know a lot of people preach you need to have an extra thousand dollars. You're probably going to need more than that right now. I'm going to encourage you to figure out what your household budget is. And let's set aside three to six months worth of those bills. Now I can help you with all of this. If you're a homeowner, I can get you not only a better rate because rates are still great, but you can even skip your next two house payments. So what we're talking about is no house payments for May or June. You're done until July and come July 1st, maybe the world looks a lot different, but if it doesn't, I can make sure that when you close, you get three to six months of your personal bills and cash back that you can stick in a separate savings account and just use it in case of emergency. I can also help you pay your credit cards down to zero, which is probably going to save you several hundred dollars per month, but it frees up that credit. So if things do happen and life throws you a curveball, you're good to go. Let me see if I can help. Let me run the numbers for you. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And I know it's Saturday, but we're still here, ready to hook you up. Get yourself a quick quote right now at savewithconrad.com. And again, you don't need perfect credit. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved and you don't need money out of your pocket. This is no cost, no obligation. If we can't save you money, we won't waste your time, but we're licensed in more than 40 states. And if you're in a 30 year loan, If you've got credit card debt, if you have a second mortgage, if you don't have some money set aside, now is the right time to take a look. Let us run the numbers just in case. It's also worth mentioning we offer a seven-year guarantee where if your needs change in the next seven years, we'll help you refinance again without paying a whole new set of lender fees. Find out how easy it is to save a bunch of cash for your family and talk to my family at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender, save with conrad.com and here we are main event it's going to be a long 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 time before we see something like this again or so we all hope this was uh unique almost maybe as much as the firefly funhouse it's your main event there's no crowd Uh, brock lesnar and drew mcintyre they get four minutes and 35 seconds a pretty similar booking to the way goldberg and braun strowman happened where we're going to hit our finishes a handful of times and he who hits it the most wins drew McIntyre becomes the man here. And I couldn't help, but feel bad for drew. What a story he's got, you know, to go from cut to becoming the man again on the independence and becoming the TNA world champ or the impact world champ. And then gets back at NXT and makes his way to the main roster. And you've had guys like Jim Cornette a couple of years ago say, oh, I'd have put the belt on him at WrestleMania and Jr. I think last year said. This was the year to put the belt on Drew McIntyre. And now it's finally happening. He wins the Royal rumble, eliminates Brock Lesnar. The collision course is set, but no crowd to see it. Not exactly the WrestleMania moment. He probably dreamed up, but four minutes and 35 seconds. These are the heavyweight boxers. This is a heavyweight fight, so it doesn't need to go long. I dug it for what it was, but I couldn't help, but feel bad for Drew. What'd you think?
3: I, I get that, and you know I got to know Drew a little bit um, prior to going back to WWE. I, I connected with Drew the very first time uh, at an independent event over in the UK. Super classy guy, great head on his shoulders, amazing prof- amazing character. And you know we didn't talk about it after you know part one, but I actually watched the Drew McIntyre. I mean, it was a long package. I didn't want to call it a package. It was basically a documentary, the whole buildup for drew, um, such a fantastic job. And he's a real, he's the real deal. He is the real deal. And while I agree, and my, you know, my, my first reaction as you were talking was, yeah, but it doesn't matter if there was a crowd there or not, because he's going to go on to such great things. He's sure. going to have that WrestleMania crowd. He's going to have those big moments He's had some, but he's going to have a lot more. And the fact that he beat Brock Lesnar on WrestleMania in front of no audience, six months from now, nobody's going to really register that because he's going to be at a level and be experiencing success and enjoying those moments um, going forward. And hopefully he has another one, you know, and next year's WrestleMania in Los Angeles. But I was so, I don't want to say proud of him because I didn't have anything to do with it. You know, I was proud for Drew. I I really was. I don't think there's anybody that deserves that opportunity more than Drew. I couldn't be more excited for any one person to possibly be that next big breakout star that WWE so desperately needs right now. And they do. They do. Again, not being critical, but it's been a long time since we've seen a Stone Cold Steve Austin rock, John Cena, you know, level star, somebody that you could bank on, you know, year in and year out for a couple of years, that really big superstar that drives everything else, because that's what it takes to get other people over. I think that's one of the biggest challenges right now in the industry is there's a lot of people that are over, but they're all over at kind of the same level. I'm not going to name names, not going to point fingers, but you could probably pick three or four or five people that in a pinch could headline a WrestleMania. But none of them are driving the industry. And like Asita did, like like Austin did, like Rock did, right? Like Flair did in his day or Hogan did in his day or Piper did in his day. That, that one iconic superstar that's head and shoulders above the rest of the amazing superstars isn't there. And I think that also makes it harder to get people over. I think one of the reasons we've talked, I think we've talked about this in the past, you know, two guys in the last 20 years that have really um, shattered the formula for, for, for getting there is rock and Bill Goldberg. Everybody else had spent 10, 15 years, You know, including Steve Austin, including Hulk Hogan, including Ric Flair, had spent a lot of time, you know, working their craft and working with, you know, other experienced talent and being put into unique situations where they had to learn their craft. Um, Rock and Bill Goldberg became superstars, relatively speaking, overnight. And I think a lot of that has to do with the excitement that existed within the industry across the boards in general. The late 90s was a great time, and wrestling had never been or may never be more popular than it was in the late 90s across the board, mainstream media and everywhere else. And because of that, and because there were so many people that were over at that time, both in WWE and in WCW in the late 90s, that it was easy to take a Diamond Ellis page and take him to the next level because the NWO was so over. Or to get Bill Goldberg, you know, to take him from a power plant guy who was so green, you know, it, it was hard to describe and turn him into a major superstar in a relatively short period of time. And a lot of that had to do with, with the fact that there was so much great talent around him that he could play off of, engage with in storylines, and get the rub, and be carried, and be learn and, and learn from, and today you don't have that. Everybody's kind of on equal footing, and I'm hoping, really hoping, because I think he has the potential that Drew McIntyre could be that guy that could bring us back to that point where there's, and, and Roman Reigns is that that guy too. Although Roman, because of the way he was positioned and because everybody tried to force it and, you know, it's just the timing and all the other things, um, he, he didn't quite get where he wanted to be or where WWE wanted him to be. Uh, Brock Lesnar was a part-timer. Brock Lesnar, is as powerful of a character as he was and as successful as he is and how well-known he is, um, was still not the guy because he wasn't there enough to give enough of that rub to enough people for it to matter. And because of his character, it was even more difficult, right? So I'm really hoping that Drew is that guy. I think he has the potential. I think the business needs it. The business in general needs it. They need that one breakout star that stands so far above everybody else. And I know this is – got to be careful how I say this so I make make myself clear. Um, WWE needs it. WWE needs a star that's bigger than the WWE. Steve Austin was bigger than the WWE. Rock was bigger than the WWE. John Cena became bigger than the WWE. in in the sense of perception, well, WWE doesn't have anybody right now that's bigger than the WWE. They've got a lot of people that are as good as WWE or as popular as WWE, but they don't have anybody better. And they need somebody better than or bigger than WWE, perception-wise. And I think Drew could be that guy.
0: That might be a world record for the number of times WWE has been said in sixty seconds or less. It's like Sorry. it's like a tongue twister. No, it's fun. Hey, so let's talk about it. If there was a crowd, what would have gotten the bigger pop? Uh Edge's entrance, Otis kissing Mandy, Drew celebrating the
3: title win. Run it by me one more time.
0: Biggest pop. If there was a crowd, Edge's
3: entrance. Otis kissing Mandy or drew winning the title drew winning the title. I think uh, Otis kissing Mandy would have gotten a great reaction because it's a good story and people are into it and it's, you know, it's great television. Uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, Otis is such a great character. He's such, have you, have you got, have you spent any time around him? No, I have not. Oh God. You, you need to go out of your way. You really need to go out of your way. Such a fun guy to be around. Fun, fun guy to be around. Funny story. Bruce and I were, we were leaving a smackdown. We were riding together. Somebody else might have been with us. It was like 1130, 12 o'clock at night. We had to drive for like four or five hours to get to the next city we were going to. And we stopped in a convenience store to, to get a beverage or two uh, for the trip and, and a bite to eat. We stopped in this convenience store. And Otis and Tucker had gotten they had the same idea they were there before us, and we're standing in line behind them. They hadn't quite seen this yet and Otis has got like protein bars, protein drinks, all kinds of healthy shit in in one arm and like in his other arm and he's like carrying this stuff out like you know he, he's he, he's gonna stock up for the you know corona nineteen virus kind of thing, right. He's, he's, he's probably got $75 worth of shit in his arms. So on his left arm, he's got all this healthy stuff. And his right arm, he's got Doritos. He's got Fritos. He's got Mountain Dew. It's good. And Bruce said something to me. turned around. We just busted out laughing and had a blast. I'm sure the guy behind the car had no idea what he was seeing. But was such a fun guy. Go out of your way to meet him someday. Introduce yourself. He's a great guy. But I, I, I think Drew, because that was a real moment. And they did such a great job building Drew up. I think that people were ready to see Brock get beat. There's a certain point where it's just got to happen. And, and we were probably at that time or past that time, in my opinion, and for drew to finally, you know, achieve that goal. I I think that would have got the, if not the biggest, the best quality pop.
0: Let's go to Twitter. We got lots of questions for you. We, uh, we posted online. Hey, if you got a question for Eric about WrestleMania drop it here, Michael Mackey has two really good ones. He says, number one, do you think these short matches Goldberg has had over the last couple of years will change what people think of him in the future? I always remember him as having decent matches, not two minute matches with two or three moves. Sounds like Michael uh, grew up on the late WCW or WWE version of Goldberg, because what sort of got Goldberg hot in the first place was short matches. What do you think the uh, most recent WWE run will do to his legacy,
3: Eric? Uh, I, you know, I think it will help it you know Bill uh, I think Bill at, at the end of the day he's going to be known for his entrance and his spear and his jackhammer Yeah, that's it nobody's going to look at Bill Goldberg and put him in the same category as a Ricky Steamboat or a Ric Flair uh, it's just not going to happen it was, ne- it was never his goal it was never his style, it was never his intention Bill Goldberg was an attraction um, he, he, I, I don't think it's going to hurt him at all. His his last run. I don't know, let's let's face it. You know, th- his most recent run is coming at the very tail end of his career. For crying out loud, he's not thirty five years old. You know, how old is Bill? Is he in his fifties? Got to be close.
0: Yeah, he is. Yeah. Uh
3: come on. You know, I, I think the fact that he's in WWE, the fact that he's still performing in WWE as recently as, you know this weekend I think only enhances his legacy. I think it's time for Bill. If I were Bill's agent, of course, if I was Bill's agent and I was counting the money that I'm getting in the mailbox for doing next to nothing, I probably would encourage him to keep performing. But I think, you know, if, if Bill were to go to someone close to him who is objective say what do you think time to hang it up should i go out on a high note or should i keep cashing these checks uh unless i needed the checks i'd go out on the high note i really would
0: you uh you know who bill goldberg's agent is right (laughs) yeah i didn't even want to mention his name (laughs) (laughs) let's keep going jp mundy writes in how much going forward with wrestlemania had to do with pre-existing sponsor obligations wouldn't it have been better to 86 the show and try to defer or make good on the obligations
3: Uh, You know, I did a radio interview at WEEI yesterday in Boston and that that question came up uh, in a way. And look, I don't know what I don't know, meaning whether sponsor obligation, which I doubt, you know, by the way, you can do make goods, you know, sponsors are used to this type of thing. I, I highly doubt that that was a consideration in any way, shape or form. I think the larger consideration was, you know, the, the legacy of WrestleMania, um, the personality and, and makeup of one Vince McMahon who just refuses to let anything beat him, (laughs) including a pandemic. Um, but we don't know what kind of mitigation was put in place, what kind of precautions were put in place, you know, in order to go forward. So without knowing all, without knowing what I don't know, and all that went into it, and the planning and the precautions and all of that, I, I don't want to jump on any bandwagon either for or against going forward because I don't know. I'll put it this way: as a fan, I'm glad they did, and I, 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 I almost thought that oh, well, you know, we want to, you know. Give you something, you know, we want to distract you from all the things that are going on and the, the pandemic and all that. To me, when I first heard that kind of presentation, I thought, oh, that's, that's great marketing. You know, that's what that is. But when it was all over last night, I was really grateful that yeah. I watched it for two nights. Yeah. It really did take me out of the day to day grind. And I, I'm, trust me, I am not the type of person that's sitting at home worrying about, you know, the pandemic. I don't hang on to every headline. I don't search Twitter for more information. In fact, it's the last place I would go for information, but I'm not overwhelmed by any of this. I've joked about it. I don't mean to make light of it, but you know, where I live and my lifestyle for the last 15 or 20 years, nothing's changed for me. I'm not, I, 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 my, my life is, is, you know, with, with probably one or two minor exceptions, no different today than it was, you know, this time last year in terms of my lifestyle. Uh, And I know that I'm, I'm fortunate in that respect, but I still found myself when WrestleMania was over being so glad that I took the time to watch it as a fan, not, not because I had to do this podcast and I might not have watched it. If in honesty, I may or may not have watched it. All of it had I not been for this podcast, but I was so grateful last night. Yep. That um, I'm really, really, for whatever motivations, reasons, justifications, whatever, I'm really grateful to everyone at WWE for putting the event on and not pulling the plug.
0: Yeah. I sent a few thank you texts last night, you know, as wrestling fans, you know, we needed this maybe now more than ever. And, uh, I enjoyed it. And and I think people are going to talk about for a long time, you know, should they have done it or should they not have the information that's coming in is coming in so fast. They had to make a decision, and and I know it was one that will be criticized. But I I enjoyed, I benefited from that decision, and hope that everybody is safe and happy and healthy. And but that's really the gist, man. About every other question here is would Eric have held off running the
3: show? I, I, again, you know, it's a hypothetical. Uh, without knowing, you know, what I don't know, uh, I can't comment. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I just don't uh
0: hammer wants to know eric would you have signed off on the last camera shot of the boneyard match being aj styles hand
3: no no but i'll tell you what i was thinking during that whole thing I and mean, i was thinking so many different things because it was such i mean i was like bombarded it bombarded my senses in a way in a, in a positive way um but what i was thinking is we're getting towards the end of that scene and you know i saw Take her kind of look over to the bulldozer. It was positioned very, you know, prominently in the shot. I'm thinking, oh no, if he buries him, this could be another Paul White, you know, the giant falling off the Cobo Arena moment. You know, don't. It was believable. It was different. The presentation was so different because of the music and the sound effects and the the, the, the entire scene and all that. Uh, but I I engaged. I allowed myself to get. I allowed myself to believe. I put, I suspended my disbelief because it was so entertaining and interesting and dramatic. And it told such a great story. And the acting and the performances were so good. Um, but then when we were getting towards the end, I'm thinking, oh no, if he kills AJ, if he buries him, how, how's AJ coming back from this? And then when I saw the shot of the hand sticking out, I thought the same thing he did. I thought right away of Bruce Pritchard. I don't know why. I don't know if it was Bruce's idea or not. In as close as I don't know about you and Bruce, you know, you and I don't even talk about the conversations that you have with Bruce. Because I love Bruce as much as I do and have as much respect for him as I do, I don't ask him any questions about business. When we talk, we absolutely do not talk about business. Yeah. Maybe in general, like, you know, schedule or, you know, I mean, superficial stuff. Where are you going next week? You know, what's your travel schedule look like? You know, how's Stephanie? you You know, his wife, Stephanie. So all my conversations with Bruce tend to be very, very general not specific, because I never want to ask him a question that I feel puts him on the spot. But I really, really, really want to know more than anything, not who came up with the idea or how the idea for Firefly Funhouse came to be, uh, but when did it come to be? Did they know, for example – I mean, was it the original plan prior to the cancellation of, you know, the live audience and you know the arena and Raymond James? Did did they make the decision for both Boneyard and Firefly um irregardless of the situation that they were faced with? Or was it the result of that? I'd really like to know that, but I don't want to ask because I don't want to put Bruce on the spot. And it is fun to it's fun to guess. You know, I think that's one of the things too that I found in myself this weekend that I haven't really felt in a long time was the sense of not knowing, which I enjoy, I think, too much. And a lot of this has to do with the nature of the wrestling fan, and it's not a bad thing, by the way. Please don't misinterpret what I'm about to say. Wrestling fans are so passionate, and and so many of them feel like they just need to know so much. And it's no different, I'm sure, than you know, NASCAR fans or, you know, NFL fans and, you know, fans of any form of entertainment or sport, the really hardcore ones, really feel like you know, they need to know everything about it. And, and what's behind the scenes sometimes becomes more important than what they see on the screen. And for the first time in a long time, my sense of wonder is probably overstating it a little bit, but my sense of, of curiosity and intrigue was really heightened. This weekend, partially because of how are they going to figure this out, given the circumstances, and partially because of just the elevated storytelling that we saw in the Boneyard match and Firefly Funhouse.
0: Four quick little things, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, another question from Michael: He writes, "Do you think they could do Sting versus Undertaker at next year's WrestleMania, doing the same format so Sting doesn't have to take any actual bumps?" So long, wrestling fans have really wanted these two characters at WrestleMania. And I think, uh, that was the talk a lot online is, Hey, does this mean we can do this with sting and perhaps give sting the sendoff? I mean, he does have, I think it's called spinal stenosis. So it's not advisable that he do a traditional wrestling match, but perhaps with the uh, benefit of pre-taping a boneyard style match, it could happen. If you were booking it, would you do
3: it? I would certainly look at it because I think, I, I think Again, this is what's so exciting to me. It wasn't just the Boneyard match. or It wasn't just the Firefly Funhouse. It's the fact that WWE has embraced a much higher level form of presenting its story. And I think once they've embraced it, which they have clearly, um, and, and given what I sense anyway to be an overwhelming support of this new form of storytelling, As long as they can maintain the level of execution, because this, either one of those segments could have shit the bed had they been poorly produced or not produced to the level uh, that they were. It could, they could have been, that's the risky part of doing this kind of thing. It's easy to come up with ideas that are out of the box. It's very difficult to come up with an idea that's out of the box. That's a freaking home run. Very, very risky. I can't overemphasize that. But I think now that they've taken that risk, seemingly are reaping the dividends from that, I think it opens up an entirely new world of storytelling opportunities. And not just as a workaround for guys who have limited entering abilities, but as a way to really tell a much more interesting story. Now, I'm also going to – I'll just share with you a thought I have on this – because I've been thinking about it a lot over the weekend, um, not everybody can pull it off. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I went off so much on, on AJ in a positive way um, for his role and his performance in the Boneyard match because I think AJ so far over-delivered as a performer and an actor um, that I, I, I could go on and on and on about it. He raised his own stock. To such a degree that he's more val—there's more equity in AJ Styles now than there's ever been. Partly as a result of this bone yard match. Obviously, working with Undertaker goes a long way, but um, just the the level of storytelling and his abilities in in doing so. I, I just think it opens up a whole new world. I think there's a great opportunity there if if Sting and Undertaker want to figure it out. I know you know people have been talking about going to that well, and we did you know see sting you know in wrestlemania not with undertaker but we saw it. but we weren't satisfied it, it wasn't what i think most wrestling fans wanted to see and now because of this whole new world of storytelling that's opened up and the potential of doing things differently but still being if not as entertaining in some ways more so i, I think it's a possibility and i would have to look at that the insane not to
0: the other question i wanted to ask is uh you know, the NWO influence last night, how much of that do you think was your pals, hopefully doing a wink and a nod to, to you and how much of that do you think is maybe just, this was supposed to be the year, the NWO was going in the hall of fame. And I don't know. I just thought there's a few little nice tie-ins with the NWO making an appearance on WrestleMania in 2020.
3: I, obviously, I got a big kick out of it, right? My, I, I posted something on on Twitter, you know, moments after I saw it, and I think as of right now, I've got close to a hundred thousand views, and you know, my social media has been blown up, and it's all been very positive. So, I, you know, on, a, on a just a human level, huge, huge kick out of it. But I don't think there's any. I don't think. I don't know. I, again, I'm not going to ask Bruce, and he's not. He he won't volunteer the information because he's too much of a pro. Um, but I, 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 don't think there's a lot of interconnectivity there. I, 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 I would guess it's just a guess. It's just a guess. I don't know. I don't have any insight. I don't have any stooges telling me things that I'm going to you know repeat whether they're true or not. Um, that's for a lot of other people to do. But my guess is that the idea for the NWO to be, you know, a small part of the Firefly Funhouse thing was, probably done without respect to whether or not the NWO was getting inducted into the hall of fame or not. I think they're standalone. I think they're two separate things, probably a coincidence, obviously a coincidence. Uh, one didn't happen. One did anyway, but, Uh, I I don't think they were connected. I don't think there was any concerted effort of saying, okay, let's really give a wink and a nod to the NWO because they're going into the Hall of Fame, so therefore let's include them in this segment. I really don't think that was the case. I think John, Bruce, Bray, whoever else was involved in that, um, all got together and worked through it without any respect to whether or not NWO was getting inducted into the Hall of Fame or not.
0: Tell everybody your joke. You know, I, I know you texted it to Bruce and you put it on social with the video, but perhaps some of our listeners, for whatever reason, haven't seen your tweet. You posted a little video and you made an observation about a timeline.
3: Do you want to share that? Yeah. I mean, it was so surreal to me. You know, I'm sitting there. I actually, I was watching WrestleMania up, up in my office, which is, you know, in a separate part of the house from where uh, Mrs. B and my daughter, our daughter Montana was. And after it was all over, I came down and I was sitting in the chair, and it was just it was just kind of setting in what I had just seen. It just overwhelmed me. Not just the NWO part of it, that was a small part of it. The whole thing, you know, Bray getting into the his head was just so overwhelmingly fucking awesome to me that I was in an overall kind of state of suspended animation, I guess, mentally. But I I came downstairs, I sat in my chair, and I I popped, picked up my Twitter and I posted this thing. This is, you know, I don't, I have to paraphrase myself because I don't even remember what I said anymore, but it was like, wow, hard to believe. You know, I got fired in October and I'm in WrestleMania in April. (laughs) I I bet you nobody's ever done that. (laughs) I mean, just tongue in cheek, you know, it was fun. I, it was just really fun.
0: Let's put a bow on it. Two last things here and then we'll wrap it up. Best match of the weekend
3: hmm wow, best match of the weekend. oh, shit, so much has happened. I'm actually gonna have to go back to my notes and take well, a look at it while
0: you're looking at it, I'm gonna vote Kevin owens and Seth Rollins uh, and I would have never picked that one coming in. I just as a match, I really, really dug it and thought it worked
3: yeah i'm 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 going to have to go with you on that. I mean, as a match, as an in-ring, you know, live to tape match, uh, I would probably have to agree with that one.
0: And now here's the real challenge. If you had to recommend one thing from either night, what would it be? Not what would you change, but you're going to have somebody sit down and watch one thing from either night, your highest on it. You think this tells the story of WrestleMania 36 this is the best thing on the show. Here you go. Press play. What would it, what would they say?
3: Boneyard match.
0: I agree. I think we're on the same page, man. I, you know, I want to, I want to put over so much good stuff that happened on either night. Cause I think it exceeded all expectations and I'm sure you agree. And you and I were both sort of overwhelmed with gratitude of, man, I'm glad we had something to do. It seems like everything else is canceled and this was actually pretty fun, and it was fun for me and you to get to curry uh, cover the current product. We've not usually spent much time. I mean, we're really a nostalgia show, but you and I talking about the uh, the current stuff. This was a fun change of pace.
3: I enjoyed it. I really did too. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm I'm grateful, you know, for this podcast. You know, more or less not forcing me, but um, pushing me to watch the entire WrestleMania, not just parts of it, which probably would have been the case. Uh, had it not been for this podcast. I really, really enjoy. I enjoyed this as much as I've enjoyed anything I've seen on, on screen in a long, long time. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to have watched it.
0: Well, throw us a follow on Twitter. If you haven't already at 83 weeks, uh, pick yourself up a shirt over at com. You would have heard this episode early and ad free. Had you joined adfreeshows.com. can't recommend that enough. We've got a lot of, uh, I haven't even told you, Eric, but we've got some celebrity supporters that I'll tell you about, uh, off air, but yeah, we've had some, some, some na- major figures in wrestling decide to throw their hat in the ring and start getting our content there as well. So stay tuned for that next week. We're doing something we've never done before as the first continue here on 83 weeks, we're going to watch TNA lockdown 2010 and talk about it. This is a major moment in TNA wrestling history. Uh, we'll break down exactly why next week. I'm looking forward to this one, man. We've had this one circled for a while. You haven't spent a lot of time on the show talking about your run in TNA and to break down a specific show like this, this will be a first for us. And I'm looking forward to it. How about you?
3: Yeah, as am I, as am I It's kind of, kind of a you know, abrupt transition to go from WrestleMania 36 and all the crazy stuff we saw to TNA, but it'll be, it'll be fun. It'll be, you know, context is king. We're going to go back to 2010. You know, it was, it was a decade ago, different time different situation television was different everything was different so it will be fun to go back and kind of break it down into tiny little pieces and analyze it
0: we'll see you next week right here on 83 weeks with eric bischoff hello
1: good afternoon uh is this mr richmond
0: i've been telling you for a long time that save with conrad.com can save you money but don't take my word for it,
1: yes, it is. hi this is dave soba i'm calling from save with conrad Hey, how are you? Doing good, my friend, doing good. What made you go to see with Conrad in the first place?
2: Just doing the, the ads on the podcast. My wife and I were in a place where we thought, you know, let's see what we can do and, and check out different companies. And I said, oh, well, I've got this one. So I went on and, and the rest was history. We, we loved it and we stuck with it. And thankfully they stuck with us and, and it worked. That's wonderful. Was there something specific
1: that Conrad said on the podcast that kind of helped you make that decision that give us a call
2: or email us? Skip two payments, and, and you know, he'll he'll find you the lowest rates. And um, and it came at a great time. We actually did it a couple months before Christmas, so we got to have no payments for December, January. So that helped out a lot with Christmas shopping. We've got a two-year-old daughter. So any money that we could have put towards her that we didn't have to put towards the house was a good thing. How was it working with Derek? Well, he was great. Uh, sent out an email at, like, 6 o'clock at night, and he almost immediately called us and we put them on speaker and we we hashed out what we needed to hash out. It was just the constant availability was was great.
1: Do you have any suggestions on how we can improve as a team for any future people we
2: were able to help out? Keep going how it's going. Everything was going so well. And I mean, you guys helped us out so much and and saved us money and and it just, it couldn't have come at a better time. So just keep up what you're doing and and thank everybody for all their, their efforts in it.
1: Do you remember how much money we were able to
2: save you? Um, I think overall it ended up being about four or five grand just off the top. I mean, we we had a credit card that we had run up and we should not have got it to the point that it was at, and we were able to roll that right in with the house payment, so our credit card right now is at zero, which is wonderful. Plus, then we got the two house payments, plus um, I think they ended up saving us like $2,500 extra on top of it. So. It ended up being a significant hit of money to us, so it was it was definitely what we needed at the time. Now, would you recommend us
1: to a friend or a coworker? worker oh, yeah, have. Yes. Oh, great! That's wonderful to hear.
0: So, what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the five hundreds can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com.
2: NMLS, number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders, Woo!